0: All right, fans, back at ringside, Leroy Dargan in the ring, waiting on the world champ, and you just walked right out of the ring. Oh, gosh. I got to laugh a little bit.
1: You know, I don't have to wrestle on TV. As a matter of fact, I don't have
2: to do anything I don't want to do. And if this is some kind of a
1: prank on behalf of Cracker Promotions, putting me in the ring with that, you got to be ribbing me.
3: Where I come from, we don't wrestle guys
4: like that. We employ them.
1: Get
3: it down up to the Rick. Oh, Rick. Rick. Oh, Rick. Now things finally going the way of the challenger, Bianca
4: Belair. She has a champion reeling. Finally. Lynch well, double underhook on the champ. Thanks. Face first goes Becky Lynch. What a
5: performance by WWE wrestler Bianca Belair a couple weeks ago. She whooped Becky Lynch winning her first Raw Women's Championship. But not only is Belair a talented wrestler, she's one of the WWE's fiercest black wrestlers. And according to industry watchers, black wrestlers are really having a moment. To help us understand more is wrestling columnist Alfred Canua, who joins us now from Los Angeles. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
5: So first, talk to us a bit about how Black wrestlers have traditionally been depicted in the wrestling industry. Like, it has been extremely racist in the past. Am I wrong about that?
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, Historically, Black wrestlers have been treated as more bit players and uh, usually security guards, usually strong silent types, um, but also, especially when it comes to them speaking and having speaking roles traditionally, they play into stereotypes in terms of maybe what somebody who is not familiar with black culture thinks a black person talks like, uh, acts like, and so it has lent itself to some pretty racially insensitive programming over the years when it comes to pro wrestling, and I can't honestly say that it's all the way out of the wrestling atmosphere because it is kind of an old boys network, but it is getting better. Like you said, Black people are having a moment.
5: Now I have to say my brother growing up and like my uncles, they were, they were really into wrestling and I knew people were still into wrestling, but I hadn't really seen wrestling until recently. My son, my eight year old has gotten really into wrestling. Like he wants to watch it to go to sleep. So I I am interested in like, what is it like now?
1: Well, it is improving, and I was that eight-year-old boy once upon a time, an <laughs> eight-year-old black boy watching wrestling. And I'm so jealous of your son because he's got so many great black wrestlers <laughs> to look up to now. For me, my hero growing up was a guy named Ahmed Johnson. That was my hero in terms of <laughs> wrestling. And he kind of flamed out of the business and didn't amount to being a huge superstar. But it was the first time in my life I'd ever seen a black person being pushed, as they say, to like the main event. Now, your son has so many great black wrestlers to choose from in so many different promotions. I mean, it's Bianca Belair, like you mentioned, who just came off of what I feel is the greatest women's match in the history of WrestleMania against Mm -hmm. Becky Lynch. Bianca Belair is incredible. Last year, WrestleMania 37, I wrote an article for Forbes, and I called it the blackest WrestleMania of all time, because it was. It was the first time two black men had competed for a title. Uh, It was the first time uh, two black women had main-evented WrestleMania.
5: So wrestling, obviously... There's a lot that happens on stage or on the, in the ring, yes. but there's a lot that happens behind the scenes, like, you know, writing the storylines um, and the executives. Like, how are Black people doing in those areas?
1: Pro Wrestling just had its first Black woman executive in Brandy Rhodes when it comes to AEW. But AEW has had its own problems with representation, diversity, or Black excellence, as I like to call it, in terms of booking Black people in prominent positions. And
5: AEW is All Elite Wrestling?
1: Yes, All Elite Wrestling. They're a new company, very entertaining. I really love what they're doing. And what I love about the fact that AEW is this new wrestling company is now there's really an established Black wrestling media. There's more Black wrestling fans, I feel like, than ever in terms of, just from my standpoint, well, and wrestling, And so the Black narrative is actually a real thing. You know, AEW has been held accountable from day one in terms of in its three years of existence, four years of existence. From day one, people have kind of come out, uh, myself included, and, and kind of held them accountable in terms of promoting Black people at a respectable level.
5: Obviously, you are very passionate about wrestling. And as a black man who this is your passion, like what has it meant to you to see the change in representation?
1: The reason that I'm focused on black people is not about equality. It's really about wrestling being mainstream again, Mm -hmm. Uh, because wrestling, I talked to Nick Khan. He's WWE's chief revenue officer. He's one of the big head honchos in WWE. And WWE's main goal, he told me, is to make their audience younger. I got news for you. That's not happening without black culture. Mm-hmm. Because professional wrestling is really just a microcosm of America. And in America, we're seeing this where black people are still fighting for their voting rights. Black people still feel like they're not getting enough seats at the table, executive positions. Wrestling is just a product of that. In that you look at wrestling and it's the same story.
5: That was wrestling columnist Alfred Kanuwa. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Asia.
3: Once again, Jackie Robinson was mentioned as the first black person in the major leagues. And uh, I have been reading that that is not accurate. That is not accurate at all.
6: It's been nearly 50 years since Jackie Robinson's death, but he remains one of the most celebrated athletes in American history. We take a look at why Robinson's significance continues to resonate well beyond baseball. 75 years ago this week, Jackie Robinson first took the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers, becoming the first black man to play in the modern major leagues. Robinson later told reporters that his goal was a simple one during that historic 1947 season.
4: My main ambition was to, uh, to get
7: along well enough with whoever I was playing with so that they would realize that uh, there wasn't any any friction because I was colored and they were white. I mean, we could play together. I think that was my main ambition was to break down that barrier, not so much to for me to go to the major leagues. I just wanted somebody to go. I didn't care who it was.
6: Prior to joining the Dodgers, Robinson had built a name for himself in college at UCLA. He was the first student athlete to earn varsity letters in four different sports. But after serving in the army during World War II, he faced a segregated sports world. So, in 1945, Robinson joined the Kansas City Monarchs of the Negro Leagues.
2: I was convinced then that there was a timeliness about
6: it. Later that year, he caught the eye of Dodgers general manager Branch Rickey, who convinced Robinson that he should be the one to desegregate America's pastime.
2: The right man and ability on the field and with control of himself off the field. If I could find that kind of a man, the
4: American public would
3: accept him. The Jackie Robinson that we think of, I think, today um, isn't necessarily the Jackie Robinson who entered Major League Baseball.
6: Kevin Blackestone is a University of Maryland professor and a columnist for the Washington Post. What all was he facing as he stepped on to Ebbets Field in Brooklyn?
3: Well, he's facing one of the greatest experiments in the history of race relations in this country. Blackstone says Robinson was forced to make a promise
6: that he'd never fight back when fans or fellow players insulted him. So for Jackie Robinson to be willing to sort of turn the other cheek, what was he having to swallow, really, to, to be able to do that?
3: Well, I, I think he was having to swallow who he was. He was an educated black man. He knew the pressure that was uh, was on him. He knew he had to perform. He had to be twice as good. And he knew he could not respond to all the racism that would be hurled at him as he simply tried to play the game of baseball. Robinson's
6: mental toughness would be tested repeatedly during his first season, says Robinson biographer Jonathan Ike, who says even some of Robinson's own teammates didn't want him to succeed. You've got
8: 399 players in the league um, that you've got to worry about whether they want you there, whether they're going to you know, throw at your head, whether they're going to spike you on the base paths, Um, you know, death threats from haters, Um, that's, Robinson was up against that every day. And he felt one high off the right field screen for a
6: double. Despite a torrent of hostility and hatred, Robinson excelled. In 1947, he won Rookie of the Year. Two years later, he was named National League MVP. And over the course of his 10-year playing career, Robinson was a six-time All-Star and he played in the World Series six times.
1: His play on the field just wasn't about the game, but it was really an opportunity for African Americans to show that when given an opportunity to compete on an equal playing field, they could succeed.
6: Damian Thomas is the sports curator at the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. He says even after his playing days, Robinson continued to fight for equality.
1: Martin Luther King Jr. put it best when he said Jackie Robinson was a sit-inner before sit-ins and a freedom rider before freedom rides because what Jackie Robinson was able to do in a nonviolent way was take a lot of abuse, take a lot of criticism, and bounce back from it, and find ways to succeed and that's the story of the civil rights movement.
6: While Major League Baseball now celebrates Jackie Robinson Day each year, Kevin Blackestone says the league has never dealt with the entirety of Robinson's story.
3: They celebrate Jackie Robinson. Um, They have commercialized him. They have commodified him. um, They have diminished and defined who he really was. You never hear Major League Baseball officials talk about the 60 years, three generations that they refused to let men of African provenance play their game.
6: Now 75 years after his first game for the Brooklyn Dodgers, Jonathan Igg says Robinson is still the most important baseball player in American history. He
8: reminds us um, that black athletes, that athletes in general have the right, the responsibility and the power to speak up for what they believe in, that they do not have to play ball and keep their mouths shut. Robinson proved that a long time ago. He is a man of
9: integrity, honor, conviction, and principle. The next governor of the great
10: state of Florida, Ron DeSantis.
11: New at 6, Florida's Education Department has rejected 41% of the textbooks that were reviewed for use in Florida schools. So this includes some 50 math textbooks. Now the Orange County Teachers Union is reacting, saying that they are befuddled at this decision. New 6's Amanda Castro has more.
12: I can't imagine what is in a math textbook that would indoctrinate
13: a child. Orange County Classroom Teachers Association President Wendy Dormal says she's baffled after learning the Florida Department of Education rejected 54 math textbooks submitted for the state's approved list. The state says the publishers attempted to indoctrinate students.
12: I'd really love to see some of these rejected books and see what they highlighted and found disturbing in those books.
13: According to the state, 41% of the submitted textbooks included references to critical race theory, common core, and social-emotional learning. Grades K-5 through had the most materials rejected. Governor Ron DeSantis saying in a statement the publishers were, quote, indoctrinating concepts like race essentialism. State Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith tweeted saying the governor has turned our classrooms into political battlefields.
12: Certainly in a math book, I can't imagine
13: what he's talking about. According to the DOE, textbooks are reviewed by subject every five years and materials must meet Florida's benchmarks for excellent student thinking standards. The next subject up for review is social studies, with a state already accepting bids from publishers. This comes as PEN America, an advocacy group for writing professionals, found Florida is third in the nation for the most incidents of school book bans. The Osceola County School District is currently reviewing four books that were recently banned in other districts. The superintendent also announcing a new system allowing parents to decide how much access their students have to books in the library.
12: I think it's shameful that schools, uh, school boards, uh, the governor and others are, are telling uh, Children, what they
13: can read. Amanda Castro getting results. News 6. This comes as PEN America, an advocacy group for writing professionals, found Florida is third in the nation for the most incidents of school book bans. The Osceola County School District is currently reviewing four books that were recently banned in other districts. The superintendent also announcing a new system, allowing parents to decide how much access their students have to books in the library. I think it's
12: shameful that schools, uh, school boards,
13: uh, the governor
12: and others are are telling uh, children what they can read.
4: Public libraries across the country have been unknowingly offering ebooks penned by white supremacists and Holocaust deniers, including in Boston and Worcester. GBH Radio's Meg Woolhouse discovered that the supply stems from a private vendor that thousands of libraries use.
14: A public library card is a powerful thing. Not only can patrons get books and media in hand, they can download ebooks from wherever they are under agreements with the digital platform Hoopla. That was well and good until recently when some Massachusetts librarians were shocked to find that Hoopla also offered patrons titles like Debating the Holocaust. They found racist, neo-Nazi, anti-women, anti-gay books. One, the transgender industrial complex, Posits that transgenderism is a plot by a global Jewish cabal. Then there was a 56 page document called Coronavirus that blamed President Biden's son for the pandemic.
15: We're not talking about different political opinions. We're talking about deeply damaging information that is not factual.
14: That's Worcester Public Library Executive Director Jason Homer. Hoopla's collection even included far right publishers like Arctos Media and Antelope Hill Publishing two outfits the Southern Poverty Law Center has identified as hate groups. Taxpayers end up footing the bill for loans of the e-material from Hoopla, which is used by 8,000 libraries in the U.S. and Canada. Homer says his library pays as much as $4.99 whenever a patron checks out one of its e-titles. Allison Macrina, director of the nonprofit Library Freedom Project, said finding the hateful titles was alarmingly easy. Working with other librarians around the country, she found dozens peddling misinformation, whether the topic was feminism, abortion, or homosexuality.
16: Each of those categories, the worst ones had primarily misinfo and disinfo, but all of them had it within the first few results. And I think the first page of results, it was a majority of just garbage.
14: Hoopla apologized in a newsletter saying there were a limited number of controversial titles and they had been removed. That was in late February. The company responded to a GBH news inquiry this month with a brief statement saying it is still working on the problem. The ALA's Deborah Caldwell-Stone says at a very minimum, vendors should be providing tools to libraries so they can curate online collections. But she also said there's a little bit of shared responsibility here.
2: to the individual library and the library workers to ensure that the resource is in compliance with the written policies and mission of the library.
14: Just last year, the trade group amended its code to state, we affirm the inherent dignity and rights of every person. We work to recognize and dismantle systemic and individual biases to confront inequity and oppression reading librarian Andrea Fiorillo of the Massachusetts Library Association says those are more than words on a page.
13: Yes, I mean it's, it's 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 kind of painful. I think that most librarians are very thoughtful about what what we bring to the public.
14: She says it's not like librarians read and watch everything they have available. They rely on reviewers and publishers and seek out trustworthy sources.
13: It is hard when we have to spin our wheels saying, yeah, the Holocaust happened and like it doesn't belong on our shelf, and it doesn't increase your intellectual freedom to have access to content that is so wrong and, and not only wrong, but dangerous.
14: Homer says he and other concerned librarians will meet with Hoopla at their national conference in June. Meg Woolhouse, GBH, Boston's local NPR.
5: Dining with the governor's daughter, and her
1: father say I remind him of Obama. I'm the chief diplomat every day, and I'm black and white.
17: Craig Robinson and Mrs. Kelly Robinson.
18: Tonight, Michelle Obama's brother, Craig Robinson, and his wife, Kelly, are suing University School of Milwaukee in River Hills, claiming the school kicked their third and fifth grader out, quote, without prior notice or just cause.
8: They retaliated with kicking two young children out of school.
18: How did we get to this point? The Robinsons told 12 News it began last year during virtual learning.
8: As a result, we got a peek into the classroom and what we saw was repeated use of racial and ethnic stereotypes in actual class assignments.
18: He said one example was using the word plantation. The lawsuit points to a previous fourth grade assignment forcing students to participate in an underground railroad simulation. The Robinsons raised concerns. You thought you were being helpful.
8: Once we raised those Uh, Our our kids were summarily dismissed from the school.
18: In this termination letter, the school alleged the Robinsons, quote, repeatedly engaged in disrespectful and demanding communications with and about our teachers and administrators. Despite saying the kids, quote, embody USM's portrait of a graduate, the boys were done.
10: This is hard. This is hard on all of us but in particular on these children.
18: Tuesday, the school wouldn't speak on camera, instead shared a letter they sent to the school community. It says in part, when such parental conduct threatens the educational environment we have created, we have no choice but to take action. They use the words bullying and harassment to teachers and staff. How do you respond to that?
8: Now, the uh, tall black guy can't advocate for his kids without being called a bully.
18: The Robinsons say nearly forty other families have reached out to them
8: once the, the the former and current parents came out to let us know that they had been through something similar, we felt obligated to not let this happen to folks moving forward. and Hillary joins us now. Hillary, did the school say anything about the Robinsons allegations?
18: Oh Patrick, they would not comment on specifics. They do have 45 days to formally respond to the lawsuit and they did say in that community letter today that terminating enrollment is not unprecedented for the school but is only used as a last resort option.
8: Hillary Mintz at the Milwaukee County Courthouse tonight.
2: As your body grows in, your mind must flower. It's great to learn because knowledge is power
19: Parents of two biracial children are filing discrimination complaints against a school district in St. Lawrence County. They accuse the Huvalton School District of ignoring racist incidents against their children for years. Amy and Travis Chisholm filed Amy and Travis Chisholm filed a complaint last week with the State Division of Human Rights. It claims their children have been targets of racist bullying for years and school officials haven't done anything to stop it. The complaint describes incidents between twenty eighteen and last month. It alleges in one incident one child was asked to join something called the Kill Inward Club. It also says both have been called the In Word repeatedly and on more than one occasion told to quote, go back to Africa and quote, go pick cotton. The complaint lists other parents and children of color as witnesses to or targets of racial harassment in the Huvalton schools. The complaint comes after a much-publicized incident in February. A photo was made public of students laying on the gym floor of Heuvelton's High School. They arranged their bodies in different letters to spell out a slur word. In an email to NCPR at the time, Superintendent Jesse Coburn said, At this time, our primary goal is to pull the district together, to heal, and to learn. Coburn was unavailable to comment on the newly filed complaints. Celia Clark, North Country Public Radio.
5: It's been a rough couple of years. The pandemic has taken a toll on mental health, and that's especially true for teenagers. A new survey by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warns of a growing mental health crisis among teens, with almost half reporting feeling persistently sad or hopeless. And one response was especially concerning 47% of LGBTQ teens reported having, quote, seriously considered committing suicide. But there's also a hopeful finding. Teens who feel connected at school reported much lower rates of poor mental health. We'll turn now to Kathleen Ethier. She's the director of the CDC's Division of Adolescent and School
20: Health. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
5: So let's talk about the big picture first. Like, what are some of the top findings in this survey, and like, how should we understand them?
20: Well, we've known for a while that mental health among young people was going in the wrong directions. What we really saw in this survey was the extent to which the pandemic has been incredibly disruptive for young people and their families. And then, although all students were impacted by the pandemic, not all students were impacted equally. So, young people who experienced racism in school also had poorer mental health. LGBTQ youth, I mean, I think we had been seeing that difference for that group for many years. And again, I think it comes down to the experience of stigma and trauma and bullying, all of those things. So
5: how do the findings in this survey compare to, say, the last five to 10 years? Because as you said, teen happiness um, has been going down for a while, right?
20: I think... What we can take from this survey is, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were seeing these um, increases in poor mental health and in suicidal thoughts and behavior. That is confirmed for us in this survey. And here's where we are now. The question moving forward is, how do we address this?
5: Yeah. The the thing that the survey points to is this idea of connectedness in schools But can you talk about like what that means and like how that can actually be fostered? So, I mean, I remember being in high school. I did not feel connected. Right. Like it was a rough time for me. Um, So I can only imagine like how do you how do you deal with that?
20: And so you know that, you know, your feelings of not feeling connected in your school probably did affect how you felt in terms of your well-being yeah. and your emotions. I don't mean to lay that on oh, you. Oh, no, but, absolutely. Um, you know, you can no, see it the-
5: affected, it definitely affected how I felt. There was sadness. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when there were parts of school that I felt connected to, like the school newspaper, that made me feel much better, right? Right, But right. until that point, you feel very, you know, alone and lonely.
20: Right. And so um, the research shows that young people who feel connected to others at their school, So that me- what that means is that there are others at their school who care about them, who are interested in their well-being, who are interested in their success. Young people who feel that way anywhere in 7th to 12th grades, 20 years later, have better outcomes in terms of their mental health, in terms of um, substance use, in terms of experience and perpetration of violence, um, and in terms of sexual health. And it's this really broad-ranging impact. And so that's why we started to focus there, because we knew that there were things that schools could do to increase connectedness. Um, Some of them are intuitive, right? Get rid of bullying, make sure that young people feel safe and feel supported. But then there's some things that you might not think about, um, like classroom management. And so really teaching um, teachers how to find that line where students feel valued, they feel heard, they feel like they are participating, but there's also structure and bad behavior is not tolerated. I think that's the line to be walked here. The other thing that increases school connectedness... um, are a set of programs called youth development programs where students go out into their community, connect with important um, folks in their community, and really learn kind of that service orientation. And then the third set of things that really um, help with school connectedness are a set of policies and practices that support LGBTQ youth. And so that includes things like having clubs that support them, having anti-harassment policies, identifying safe spaces and safe people, those kinds of activities, we see improvements in mental health and decreases in suicidal thoughts and behaviors, not only in the students who identify as lesbian, gay, and bisexual and questioning, but also in their heterosexual peers. So something about protecting the most vulnerable youth means that the school is um, better for everyone. Everyone improves.
5: Obviously, there's been a lot in the news about legislation that would curtail or restrict talking about, uh, you know, sexual orientation in schools. Is that a a concern?
20: Although I'm not able to comment um, on any particular state law or policy, um, I will say that when you make schools more toxic, For any students, you make schools more toxic for all students. So anytime we are not only not making efforts to improve the safety and supportiveness of school environments for, as I said, those very vulnerable youth, we are putting all of our students at risk.
5: Kathleen Ethier, Director of the Division of Adolescent and School Health at the CDC. Thank you so much for being with us.
20: Thank you for having us.
5: If you or someone you know may be considering suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741.
4: And and also because Zab wants to put on the kind of performance that would eliminate what happened against... From any future discussion. What also is significant is that his guarantee went from 3 million to 1 million after the loss of Valdemir. And there reportedly are IRS fans here ready to seize most of that. It's quite a gathering. Bob Aram promoting with Don King. Much hip hop royalty in the audience. The IRS waiting to see where the money goes.
21: It is tax day 2022 and perhaps you're psyched you're getting money back or maybe you grimaced as you wrote a check to the United States Treasury. Or perhaps you think the whole system just needs to be overhauled. My next guest makes a compelling argument for significant changes to our current tax system that would be fair for everyone, especially people of color. The book, The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It, is by Emory University law professor Dorothy Brown, who grew up here in New York City on Morris Avenue in the South Bronx. Her parents worked hard to make a nice life. Her dad was a plumber. Her mom a nurse. Money was tight, but they got by. They were able to purchase a home with help. They took in tenants. Mom made the kids clothes. They saved for their daughter's education. And after law school, before becoming a professor, Dorothy was in investment banking, and she was pleased to able to help her parents with their taxes. But she was struck with something. She writes in her book, My income was around $75,000, roughly the equivalent to my parents' combined incomes. But when I compared our tax payments, I always came away thinking they were paying too much. It didn't make sense. What I'd been taught about our progressive tax rate system was that the more money you make, the higher the tax rate that applies to your income. It's based on a concept called ability to pay. If you have more, you should pay more. Each of my parents made half of what I did, so I should be paying much higher taxes than my parents. The numbers did not Add up, and in my mind, numbers never lied. Brown went on to spend years investigating how the taxes we pay today have roots in the cultural boundaries and policies from 1913, 1917, 1930, 1938, and especially around World War II, while some more recent changes have fortified roadblocks to black Americans achieving wealth and quietly enhanced white Americans' ability to do so. Kirk has said of the book, quote, an eye-opening look at race-based economic biases with reasonable steps to undo them. The book, The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It, was just released in paperback. And Dorothy Brown, the Asa griggs Candler professor at Emory University Law School, joins us. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Allison. So these two foundational parts of your book, I want listeners to consider as we have this conversation. It's when the tax laws were were passed and who they were thinking about when they were being passed. And then right. the idea that you write about how horizontal equity is not as it seems that just because a black family and a white family have the same money, the financial experience is not the same. So let's, let's start with the laws first. In 1913, that's when the progressive tax rate started. What was the goal? Who did
22: it consider? So the goal was only the richest Americans would pay taxes, and at its foundation, the only people paying taxes were rich white Americans. That was the goal, to get everybody else not paying taxes, but having the richest, and as it turns out, white Americans pay taxes.
21: So if black people weren't part of the equation at this time, when did the tax laws start to have an impact on black Americans' lives and wealth?
22: After World War II, because in the – well, during World War II, because in in funding the war, we needed more money, and more and more Americans started paying taxes. So we think about 1916 when like 1% of Americans paid taxes, 1927 – 5% of Americans pay taxes. By the time we got through World War II, 85% of Americans were paying taxes. So it went from a tax that only the richest Americans paid to a tax that basically everybody else paid. And in your book, which one thing I love about the book is you have
21: all these solutions, and you make a point that maybe we should go back to the future with a twist you write a truly equitable tax system would contain elements of the one created by the Revenue Act of 1913, such as individual returns and the address the racing that shaped the racism that shaped housing, college, and labor markets in the decades since. Eliminating exclusions, reducing deductions, and returning to a single progressive rate system would go a long way towards clo- closing the future wealth gap. Every April fifteenth, so let's let's talk about those individual <laughs> uh, tax Great. cases. Um, A wealthy white couple named the Seaborns. they're the ones that brought us the joint tax return.
22: (laughs) Yes, they are responsible for why we don't all file individual the way it was at the very beginning. Because they were one of the richest white Americans paying taxes, and they didn't like it. So they went to their tax advisors and figured out a way where he was the sole wage earner. Henry would shift half of his income to his stay-at-home spouse, Charlotte, and as a group pay less taxes than if all of the income was put on his individual tax return. So how does filing jointly affect black and white couples differently? Because white and black couples have historically and continuing to today do marriage differently white americans are more likely to be like the Seaborn's, where there's a single wage earner in the paid labor market and the other spouse works at home without getting paid whereas black american couples are like my parents where both work full time and how the joint return operates is the couples like the Seaborns, who are generally white versus couples like the browns my parents who are generally black the white couples likely get a tax cut when they get married black couples do not and they are more likely to pay higher taxes when they get married and you wouldn't know any of this because the irs and the treasury don't publish statistics by race so i had to become a detective to find out some of this information and did an analysis on census bureau data which showed that married white couples single wage earner married black couples dual equal wage earners.
21: So you advocate for marriage neutrality in in taxes, which would actually put us sort of on par with other parts of the world. Why and how would this make a really big difference
22: for people? Well, it would mean that black married couples would no longer be paying higher taxes as a result of getting married. It would also result in White married couples not getting a tax cut when they get married. It would, we have this idea in the tax law that says your personal choices should not change your tax bill. You decide not to live across the street from your job, therefore, you don't get to deduct commuting costs. Well, what's more personal than being married? So I argue you should not get a tax break simply because you decide to get married. Neither should someone be left out of a tax break because they're single, because the flip side of the marriage bonus penalty regime of the joint return is a singles penalty. And it works like this. Let's say a single wage earner makes $50,000. Their taxes or their tax rate is going to be lower than a single wage earner making $50,000 who isn't married. And that's not fair either. So what the individual filing would do would treat all 50,000 wage earners the same.
21: My guest is law professor Dorothy Brown. We're talking about her book, The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It. Let's move on to home ownership. This was huge World War II, post-World War II goal. The government got all into it. But obviously, we know about redlining and shady mortgage practices. And you write about specifically, we can think about mortgage interest deductions and how home sales are taxed as being culprits here.
22: That's right. And less so the mortgage interest deduction because you only get a tax break from your mortgage interest deduction if you file file itemized deductions. About 90% of Americans don't file itemized deductions. They take the standard deduction. So the mortgage interest deduction doesn't mean that much. What is the big tax boon is what happens when you sell your home. If you sell your home at a gain for more money than you paid, That gain is tax-free if you're married, to the extent the gain is $500,000 or less, if you're single, to the extent the gain is $250,000 or less. So you would say, well, but Dorothy, that means Black homeowners can sell their home for a tax-free gain, just like white homeowners. Yeah, but Black homeowners and white homeowners live in different neighborhoods. And Black homes in Black neighborhoods appreciate differently than white homes in white neighborhoods Mm -hmm. because most of the buyers are white Americans and don't want to live in neighborhoods that most Black homeowners live in, which means Black Americans are less likely to get tax-free gain. And what happens when you sell your home for a loss? You don't get a tax break. But research shows Black homeowners are more likely to sell their home for a loss And white homeowners are more likely to sell their home for a tax-free gain.
21: New City's property tax system has been controversial for a really long time. Its assessment formula has been challenged in court. Bloomberg News reported the system finds that shifts the burden away from high-income homeowners onto low and middle class. And a group called Tax Equity Now asked the Department of Justice to investigate last year, but various mayors have kind of punted on this one. The state court has turned aside a challenge. Why is this so hard to resolve?
22: It's so hard to resolve because the people with the greatest access to legislators, rich white Americans, are the ones benefiting from it. So, first of all, this notion that taxes is colorblind helps maintain the status quo. So, mm. we don't see rich white Americans benefiting and non rich white Americans, specifically black Americans, not benefiting. So, step one, we need this race and tax data because once we see it, then it's hard to argue who's benefiting. But the the neither the IRS nor the Treasury right now are doing anything uh, or have made that information public. The Treasury has made some noises, but they haven't done anything. The second thing is who has access to lobbyists? You know, the Seaborns, you know, they got this tax break, and as a result, people like the Seaborns went to Congress to make sure everybody could get this tax break. Black Americans don't have the ear of Congress the way that their rich white peers do.
21: In terms of jobs, the Fair Labor Standards Act is an example about how legislation from a long ago planted the seeds for issues about taxes. Now, black people couldn't uh, weren't thought about in terms of the Fair Labor Act. Black people couldn't enter unions. They didn't have labor protections. They didn't have access to early retirement plans. How does that lead us to the tax code issues?
22: So we have tax breaks associated with employment. It is tax free health insurance, tax free retirement accounts. And what we find or what I found when I went back digging into the history is we only got those because there was during World War II there was this concern of runaway wages. So you couldn't, pay people additional wages but what you could do is give them these tax-free benefits and who who are we talking about giving tax-free benefits to it was white workers it wasn't black workers because when we think about the 40s and the 50s we didn't have a civil rights act brown v board of ed wasn't in place so legal discrimination against black workers was readily available fast forward to the 21st century the jobs that most black americans have are jobs that don't come with tax-free retirement accounts or tax-free health insurance. But the jobs that many white Americans have are the jobs that come with those tax-free benefits.
21: You give guidance in the last part of the book and solutions, which, again, I really like that about the, the book. And one thing you you say, take precautions. Yes. If you're going to try to mimic historically white investment
22: practices and tax practices take precautions could you give us an example of one yeah so let's say you want to buy a house and you know that buying a house in an all-white neighborhood where you're the only black or one of one or one or two black americans it's going to be a good financial investment you can do that but there's going to be other consequences your neighbor may call the cops on you because they don't think blacks live in the neighborhood you have children who you're fighting with, administrators who are treating your your black children differently. So let's say you decide, I don't want to do that. I want to buy in an all black or racially diverse neighborhood, but I know it's not going to be as good a financial investment as if I bought in an all white neighborhood. Then my advice is don't take out a home equity loan. Don't be house poor. Put your extra money in other investments so you can diversify your portfolio make sure you take out make sure you participate in your employment employer provided retirement account if you have one if not start your own
21: in our last minute you know that you interviewed a lot of different white people and they didn't want to have their names or stories included
22: they what? didn't. They did not want their last names. They didn't want their story of wealth to be associated with them. And it's I found that fascinating because what it speaks is the difficulty of making progress when it comes to minimizing the racial wealth gap. Because white Americans have benefited from privilege that they don't want to talk about. They benefited from family members who have paid for their college they don't want to talk about. They benefited from having a friend of a friend that's one of the people in the I talk about in the book who helped her build an investment portfolio of several million dollars they don't want to talk about it so if you're a black american working next in the next cubicle doing everything right and somehow you're falling further and further behind you can't figure out why and it's because the person next door to you isn't telling you their grandparents are paying for their kids K through 12 private school or have helped them with a the down payment
21: so we just need to get real to go forward
22: Yes, that's exactly right.
21: The name of the book is The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It by Emory Law professor Dorothy A. Brown. It is now out in paperback. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Now everybody's like, jails ain't tough enough. Jails ain't tough enough. We got to have a death penalty. Jails ain't tough enough.
13: In a new report for Congress, the Justice Department says it's moving to ease racial disparities inside the federal prison system. We get details on that from NPR's National Justice Correspondent, Carrie Johnson.
23: A federal law called the First Step Act creates a path for people in prison to seek early release if they work or take educational classes behind bars. But there's a catch. Those programs are only available to prisoners considered a minimum or low risk for recidivism. Melissa Hamilton is a law professor at the University of Surrey.
16: It's about who gets the opportunity to go to rehabilitative programming and earn
23: their way out a little bit earlier. DOJ makes that decision based on an algorithm called PATTERN, but that tool has had a lot of problems. Patricia Richman works for the federal public and community defenders.
5: Many of the inputs that are going
13: into PATTERN rely on data that is tainted by decades of discriminatory policing and disparities.
23: Criminal history gets heavy weight in the tool, but it can be skewed because the police presence is often higher in places where black and brown people live. Now, the Justice Department says it's making an adjustment that could help more black and Hispanic men access educational programs in prison and ultimately to get out early. But the new process won't eliminate all racial disparities, especially when it comes to black women in prison. Authorities say they'll keep working at it with the help of experts. Professor Hamilton says that will involve conflicting opinions and trade-offs. Patricia Richmond praised the DOJ for its transparency, but says there's a lot of work to do.
10: The new report corrects some of the issues in that tool, which are resulting
5: in racial and ethnic disparities. But it still has a long way to go
23: in order to course correct this to a more fair and equitable system. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. Tennessee.
2: Tennessee. 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 Tennessee.
17: Tennessee. Nationwide, the number of people in prison has been shrinking for years. Many states are sending away fewer people, and in some cases releasing them sooner. Tennessee could soon take a big step in the opposite direction. Samantha Max of member station WPLN says lawmakers there are considering a bill that would keep thousands of people behind bars for much longer.
24: For months, Tennessee lawmakers have been debating a bill that would overhaul the state's sentencing formula. At a hearing in February... A father whose son was recently killed urged lawmakers to pass it.
11: Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Andy Rayner. Rayner's
24: son was sleeping in his bed in Memphis when a group broke into his apartment, robbed his roommates, and shot him. Rayner said one of the people charged in his son's killing was on probation after multiple past arrests.
11: And in my opinion, he should have been in prison. If this law had been in effect, I would not be here today.
24: The bill is called Truth in Sentencing. It would require people convicted of many violent crimes and some cases of drug dealing to serve 100% of their sentence with no chance of early release. This is not a new concept. Let's go back to 1994.
3: The American people have been waiting a long time for this day.
24: President Bill Clinton stood before a crowd about to sign the federal crime bill. It promised funding for states that passed truth and sentencing laws. He hoped that locking people up for longer would stem a surge in violent crime.
3: Let us roll up our sleeves to roll back this awful tide of violence and reduce crime in our country. We have the tools now. Let us get about the business of using them.
24: Before long, more than half the country adopted similar measures. Fast forward to now, and many states have rolled back those policies because they cause prison populations to swell, largely with black and brown folks. And research suggests they didn't do much to make communities safer. But in Tennessee, truth and sentencing still has widespread support from Republican lawmakers.
11: I believe in truth and sentence. I will be voting for this bill. It's needed in Tennessee. It's vital
2: to hold violent offenders accountable for their actions while also protecting victims in the public
11: which is a principle we as Republicans say we believe.
24: Those were state representatives Jerry Sexton, Bruce Griffey, and Bud Halsey. But even some conservatives worried this proposal could cause more problems than it solves, including Tony Parker, who ran Tennessee's prison system for five years before retiring last fall.
1: The job and the true mission of corrections is to take that person from day one and focus on reentry.
24: Parker's main concern is that without early release, people will lose the motivation to participate in programs like college classes, anger management programs, and addiction treatment. That means less rehabilitation and he fears more violence, both while they're behind bars and once they get out.
1: 95% will be returning to a community.
24: Parker wants them to be better neighbors when that happens.
1: The best way to do that for a correctional employee is to Use the tools that you have. When you manipulate that formula and take away the tools, uh, it's not good for public safety. Absolutely
24: not. It's not good for taxpayers either, Parker and others say. More staff would have to be hired. New prisons would need to be built. Lawmakers estimated it would cost about $27 million a year to house all those extra people. But the Department of Correction thinks the price tag would be even higher, much higher. Democratic Senator Lamar London of Memphis isn't sure it's worth it.
25: An additional $27 million to incarcerate more people.
24: Lamar says she's concerned about violence. She co-sponsored a bill to treat it as a public health crisis. But she doesn't think truth in sentencing is the best way.
22: I just have a lot of heartburn about the fact that we are furthering increasing this prison population And there are so many different other ways and avenues we can take to prevent violent crime.
24: The governor hasn't said if he would sign the bill into law. He ran on a platform of criminal justice reform. But in an election year in a red state, what criminal justice reform actually means depends on who you're talking to. For NPR News, I'm Samantha Max.
2: Tennessee.
9: In western Tennessee, not a long drive from Memphis, a battle is raging in a town long troubled by mismanagement and corruption. Mason, Tennessee is a place that appears to be set for good fortune. Ford is about to build a factory nearby, but the town owes a lot of money and the state says officials there cannot be trusted to run their own affairs. The local officials there say they can and they are alleging racial discrimination in a fight that's now playing out in the courts. Our lead national correspondent, that's David Bagno, traveled to Mason to get the full story. David, what did you find out? Good morning to you.
11: Good morning to you, my friend. Look, the officials in Mason believe their very existence is on the line here, okay? That's what it all boils down to. There have been years of them really struggling to get their finances straight. I mean, decades, okay? Now you've got Ford coming in, ready to build a state-of-the-art plant there, and all of a sudden, as city officials start to see dollar signs, now you've got the state that's come in and said, Mason, we are taking over your finances. Mason, Tennessee, population just about 1,000, is home to a lot of landmarks that used to be.
25: And that used to be a school many years ago.
11: Virginia Rivers, born and raised here, is the town's vice mayor.
25: To our right, there used to be a grocery store and a tractor trader ran into it.
11: Signs of decline are everywhere. And now this town of just two square miles is losing the ability to govern itself. Last week, Tennessee's comptroller Jason Mumpower took over Mason's finances after years of mismanagement and corruption. It's for the good of the tax-paying citizens who are getting nothing for the taxes they're paying.
25: We can't even pay any other bill over $100 without us contacting them and them giving us permission.
11: Rivers and Mayor Emmett Gooden have been on the town council since 2016.
25: When we came in, we had to fix what was already messed up because there was money taken from the town. Almost a million dollars had been stolen from the town.
11: The comptroller, who refused our request for an interview, did provide a timeline showing embezzlement in 1995 and again in 2012. 20 years of late audits in Mason. Nearly 900,000 illegally transferred from the Water and Sewage Fund into the General Fund. So, for years... The city has essentially been robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? That's correct. But that's not supposed to happen, right?
25: It was, it was happening before we got here, so we right. still, it was already like that.
11: Are y'all still taking money from the water fund?
25: No. To pay for things no. in
11: the general fund. No. The comptroller initially asked the town to surrender its charter, which would have folded it into the surrounding Tipton County government, but the town board rejected that. Mason's attorney Terry Clayton frames the fight. In biblical terms.
8: David against Goliath. So we're going to continue to stand up for
11: the righteousness of this town. How many businesses are there in Mason? Currently right now is four. Not a big pot to draw from in terms of tax revenue. Correct. But there's something else going on in this area. The arrival of Ford Motor Company. Tennessee gave Ford a half-billion-dollar grant to build an electric car plant just down the road from Mason. According to local reports, it'll create 33,000 construction jobs with a nearly $2 billion payroll. And once complete, there could be 27,000 jobs, and Mason could benefit dramatically from that. Just listen to the comptroller. Tax-paying citizens have never had an opportunity like they do now. The announcement last year that Ford was coming seemed to coincide with increased pressure from the comptroller on Mason to get its financial affairs in order.
25: Why couldn't he have come before now, before Ford comes? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you want to show up and make these demands.
11: In court last week, the town's attorney, joined by the NAACP, asked for a restraining order against the comptroller accusing him of discriminating against the majority-black-run town of Mason. The comptroller's attorney rejected that accusation. The comptroller simply isn't giving the town unequal treatment, but the town,
8: the town is being treated similar to um, other uh, localities that have been treated in the past.
25: There was white people that were there when all their money was stolen. Nobody showed up.
11: That's strange. I understand what the mayor and vice mayor are saying, that, like, we're doing our best. you got to give us a chance. The state is saying, look, there have been 20 years of chances. It's not all your fault, but I'm sorry, we got to come in and get it right. What's wrong with that? It's too heavy-handed. You
8: come down here and you have a civil conversation and not come down here and tell the folks, if
11: you don't give up your charter, we will go around you. Okay? That's a threat. Meanwhile, the vice (inaudible) mayor drives around dreaming of really what Mason
25: could good be. If you really love your city, you'll, you'll do all you can for your city. You'll do all you can to see it grow, to see it prosper. Mm-hmm. We got to come together and stand together, because if we stand together for the same thing and the right reason, we will be able to grow.
11: So here's the deal. The state cannot force them to give up their charter. But the corruption allegations continue. Look, just two weeks ago, the former police chief in Mason was indicted for allegedly falsifying her timesheets. Now, according to local reporting, she has not entered a plea, and we could not reach her for comment. I want you to know that Mason Mason is really close to the finish line. They have only $248,656 left to pay back before they are in the black.
1: It's a very complicated story, David. Uh, It is. There's a lot of nuance here.
9: There is a lot of nuance, but the town people are saying, look, now you're coming in to try to take it away just as Ford is coming in with this big windfall that could help everybody, and now that they will be left out in the cold. Isn't that right, David?
11: That's right. Look, yeah, they've been struggling for 20 years, okay? There have been yeah. multiple administrations. And so the comptroller, listen, the comptroller says we gave you a corrective action plan in 2013, 16, and 21, and you didn't take the corrective action. But you got to know that it wasn't until Ford came in and people saw right. yeah. hundreds of million dollars in dollar signs did the comptroller come in and say, whoa, why don't you give me your charter? And they were like, heck no. Yeah. And he said, okay, right. well, guess what? I'm going to take over your finances. Right. Yeah. A lot of pride
8: involved as well. And my mom lives in a small town, unincorporated. They've got a charter there in Mason. But you, when you have a town like that, you want to protect it. You don't want to be part exactly. of a wider state in that way.
11: And now it's all That's up right. to the courts, right? It's all up to the all courts. All up to the design. judge. Yeah, we should get a decision, Gail, uh, within the next 24, maybe 48 hours.
8: All right. David Begno for us, as always, my friend. Thank you. A terrible
0: thing to waste. Environmental racism and its assault on the American mind. Written by Harriet A. Washington.
26: On the evening of January 31st, 2022, a fire broke out at the Winston-Weaver Fertilizer Plant located in a business and residential area on Winston-Salem's north side. Thick smoke, noxious fumes, and the threat of a catastrophic explosion from hundreds of tons of ammonium nitrate on site caused thousands to evacuate their homes and made national headlines. Here's a look at the zoning laws and regulations that permit chemical manufacturers and local residents to live and work in close proximity. The emergency calls began coming in at about 6.30 that evening.
2: I just saw a fire uh, at the Weaver fertilizer plant on Cherry Street. 4401 North Cary Street, and there's a fire across the street, and it's near, yes. a yes. point, and you are evacuated. I'm not, um, yes, I'm right here on the premises, but I'm going to walk back because it's getting bad.
26: Firefighters arrived on the scene and soon realized the gravity of the situation. Flames two stories high, and what Chief Trey Mayo described as enough ammonium nitrate on hand to create one of the worst explosions in U.S. history. After initial attempts by firefighters to suppress the blaze proved futile, the decision was made to retreat, contact nearby residents, some 6,000 of them, and urge them to evacuate. Four days later, at a local press conference, a visibly exhausted Mayo stood by that call.
17: I have gotten dozens of phone calls, emails, text messages from around the country saying, you know, essentially, you're doing the right thing. And you know I can go to bed and sleep for the rest of my life, uh, being confident in the decisions we made this week based on the information and the expertise we had available to us.
26: Many near the plant, frightened, confused and overcome by thick smoke in their homes and apartments, evacuated ahead of the official warnings. Two weeks later, at a public meeting, emotions among those most affected were still raw.
25: Everybody was on Chuck. I'm talking about police. I'm talking about firefighters. I'm talking about people. They
22: don't know what to do. How in the world did we have 600 tons of hazardous material there in a residential area? And who approved it?
26: Tani Trejo and Bonda Thomas. Thomas and her family lived just a half mile from the plant. The answer to her question...
3: The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. When you're a cop, you can
1: torment freely and see me valley, then see the Audi, then being proudly to the routine traffic stop to
4: your the finale. When you're a cop, start with that breaking news. We now know that a state trooper is facing manslaughter charges following a deadly shooting of a teen in West Haven. The Office of Inspector General released that report just a short time ago. NBC Connecticut Jennifer Joyce has been following all the new details and is here with the late breaking information. Jen. Hey,
16: good morning, Kevin. So this is the 133-page report released from the Inspector General. In it, it details the police chase as well as the moments leading up to the death of the 19-year-old man in West Haven. State police trooper Brian North has been arrested and charged with manslaughter in the shooting death of 19-year-old Mubarak Suleiman. The Connecticut inspector general writing, The investigation establishes that at the time trooper North fired his weapon, neither he nor any other person was in imminent danger of serious injury or death from a knife attack at the hands of Suleiman. Any belief that persons were in such danger was not reasonable. I therefore find that North's use of deadly force was not justified under Connecticut law. State police say Suleiman carjacked a vehicle in Norwalk and led police on a chase on 95 to West Haven. State police were able to box in the car Suleiman was driving. State police body camera video showed a West Haven officer smashing out the passenger door window before another trooper shot Suleiman with a stun gun. According to the inspector general's report, Trooper North then fired his gun seven times through the driver's side window when Suleiman displayed a knife. It wasn't until after firing that the inspector general says Trooper North told Suleiman to drop the knife. The attorney representing the Suleiman family released a statement, writing, The family of Mubarak Suleiman is very happy that after two-plus years, Trooper Brian North, who murdered Mubarak in West Haven in January of 2020, may be brought to justice. It's a long road ahead, but this is a good day. North turned himself in last night, was arrested and placed on administrative leave. The Connecticut State Police Union issued a statement this morning, writing, We are disappointed that the Inspector General has made the decision to prosecute a trooper who was forced to make a split-second decision during these dangerous and rapidly evolving circumstances. Trooper North was risking his own life while trying to fulfill his oath of office to protect the lives of others. Regardless of the Inspector General's, General's decision, we will respect the judicial process while we vigorously defend Trooper North and his actions. And North was released on $50,000 bond and is expected to appear in Milford Superior, Superior Court coming up on May 3rd. Live here in the studio, Jennifer Jois, NBC Connecticut News. Back over to you, Kevin.
4: Jennifer, thank you. We will continue to follow this major breaking news. We have reached out to the governor's office for a comment to the new developments this morning. We as yet have heard not heard back. We'll continue to bring you live team coverage throughout the day as things unfold. Stay with NBC Connecticut on air and online for more reaction. You can also read that full report that Jennifer Jo has just showed you. It's on our website at NBCConnecticut.com.
11: During these marches, King and other demonstrators were struck by bricks and bottles.
2: Oh, I've been hit so many times, I'm immune to it. (laughs) How do
4: you feel about this
2: reception, sir? Well, this is a terrible thing. I've been in many demonstrations all across the South, but I can say that I have never seen, even in Mississippi and Alabama, mobs as hostile. And as Hadesfield as I've seen in
10: Chicago. Dozens of Chicago police officers who have been recommended for firing remain on the payroll as their cases languish for months, even years, at the Chicago Law Department. Now, some officials say the holdup owes to a staffing hemorrhage since late 2020 that has cut the law department's size by a quarter. And now a Chicago City Council member is trying to set up deadlines for the law department to move on police firings. WBEZ's Chip Mitchell joins us now to talk about this bottleneck. Hi, Chip. Hey, Lisa. So, Chip, you looked into the case of a police officer named Mark Johnson. Tell us about that case.
17: Well, there's this incident at a Southside bus stop in 2019. A different police officer got spit on by a man. That cop body slams the man on the street Uh, This man's head lands on a curb. City investigators say it knocked him out. And a field training officer, this Mark Johnson, he pulls up with his partner. They cuff the unconscious man, his hands behind his back. And Johnson picks him up from the arms and the back of his pants like a heavy object. That's how investigators put it. They load him into their squad car. They leave him without a seat belt and drive him to the hospital. And Officer Johnson reports later that when he arrived on the scene, the man was alert and responsive. So, CPD the next day strips Johnson's police powers and assigns him to a non emergency unit, and a city agency recommends he be fired. Now, the city's law department got the case almost a year ago, but still hasn't filed charges with the police board. Um, That's the city entity that makes the final decision in these types of cases. So the law department is sitting on Johnson's case and won't explain why. And Johnson's still in that unit, by the way. He's still collecting his $104,000 salary. And, Lisa, this is not just a problem for taxpayers. His attorney says the officer was just doing his job and he's upset about being in limbo.
10: Well, how many dismissal cases are stuck in the law department?
17: Well, city officials at the agencies involved with police oversight say they can't or won't give a precise count. But one of them said the number of cases languishing at the law department is in the dozens. And this number could be increasing because one of those police oversight agencies has really increased the number of discharges it's recommending. The dozens. All right. Well, what's causing all these law department delays? Well, the backlog comes amid law department staffing trouble that started in late 2020. We looked at city personnel data and found that the department during that time has shrunk from 400 employees to just 303. Now, the law department says several of the vacancies are in its division that handles these police firing cases. Current and former law department officials blame the department's shrinkage on a number of factors, the the pandemic, um, the department's salaries. They say they're less competitive than they used to be on red tape around city hiring and some staff demoralization after the Anjanette Young scandal. She's that social worker whose home the police raided. By mistake, and city lawyers tried to hide the video. Right, right. What is Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration saying about this? Well, the law department says there's been no interruption of legal services and that it uses outside attorneys when appropriate. But Matt Martin, he represents a north side ward on the city council. He's introduced legislation that he hopes would compel city attorneys to bring formal charges to the police board more quickly. It says no more than 45 days after CPD and police oversight officials finalize a discharge recommendation.
10: WBEZ's Chip Mitchell, and you can read more on his reporting on this topic on our website, wbez.org. Thanks so much, Chip.
17: My pleasure, Lisa.
10: This is WBEZ. I've always been afraid I'd
2: screw up
9: our lives so badly that we need a backup plan,
2: and that plan <laughs> is right here.
6: <laughs> no, nope.
3: Bingo.
2: Here <laughs> with me. Da uh, ta- ta-
19: Alaska.
2: Alaska a place where you can't be
11: too fat or too drunk. Also in Anchorage, after a standoff downtown yesterday afternoon, police took a 52-year-old man into custody after he allegedly barricaded himself in a room of the hotel Captain Cook and made threats with a weapon. That man, John Holman, now faces a charge of second-degree terroristic threatening in connection with the incident, that according to charging documents. Several downtown Anchorage streets were initially closed to traffic while a large number of police officers responded to the area. After what was an hours-long standoff, police said the man was taken into custody without further incident Friday evening, and there were no injuries. Alaska's news source has also reached out to the Anchorage Police Department for more information, but has not yet received
3: a response. So, you
2: know, these events that keep coming up, instead of just reacting, dealing with them one at a time and being shocked each time we have another event that surfaces that, we, that is brought to our attention, we need to function from the position of an analysis that clarifies we are in a total system structure of racism, white supremacy, and that is why we are seeing the kinds of behaviors from individuals, be it Donald Sterling or be it uh, George Zimmerman or any of the other cases that come to our attention. There is a reason that these cases exist. And I want to also talk about, in this case, they talked about mental health but also gun control. And we have to begin to understand, I say you can't understand the gun mania if you don't understand racism, white supremacy. The gun is the answer to conscious and or subconscious, the answer, the response to the quite collective feeling they can be genetically annihilated by black genetic material. And the gun is a great equalizer. I encourage everybody to get a copy of the ISIS papers and read.
21: A suspect accused of leaving racist and threatening notes on windshields in West Dallas has been charged. Federal agents charged William McDonald with intimidating and threatening nine people for more than a year.
11: CBS 58's Adam Reif is live in West Dallas to break down this case for us. Adam.
4: Natalie Jessup, good evening. All nine victims, children and adults, live within a mile of each other near 84th and Mitchell, where FBI agents searched William McDonald's apartment yesterday. The notes he's accused of writing are vile, full of racial slurs and demeaning swears. He's also accused of intimidating through smashing car windows and slashing tires. The FBI executed a search warrant on William McDonald's apartment Tuesday and found two screwdrivers, a baseball bat, and a handwritten note similar to those found on windshields throughout West Dallas, McDonald's handwritten notes are littered with the N-word, Nigga. other racial slurs and profanity, threatening the victims, telling them to leave the area. One note read, paraphrasing for TV, stay here and see what happens. According to the FBI's criminal complaint, the first instance happened in March of 2021 when McDonald allegedly smashed a windshield and left a note that said, again paraphrasing, I know where you live, if I see you again, I'll slash your throat. And this February, two more slashed tires and a note that said, get out of my neighborhood with the N-word. Three weeks later, two more tires were slashed on that same car. Back in March, before McDonald was identified and arrested, a couple told us they'd spent more than $1,500 replacing a smash car window and seven slash tires. And they were worried enough about their safety to send their baby daughter to stay with family elsewhere.
14: I think that's the mother's, especially like a new mom, for me, that's my worst
4: fear. I can't even think about it right now. On April 2nd, one victim, a black woman with two black sons, unknowingly moved into McDonald's building. Three days later, the N-word was written on their door. Out of fear for their safety, the sons are no longer living in that apartment. In total, four victims moved out of West Allis, telling the FBI the sole reason was the hateful notes and vandalism.
6: It's hard to hard to fathom, you know, because we I feel like we came so long, so far.
4: Now, McDonald does have a criminal history. In 2003, he was arrested for keying his ex's new boyfriend's car. And in 2018, he was named a suspect for damaging windshields at a car dealership he worked at. William McDonald will make his initial appearance in federal court this coming Friday, the 22nd at 11 a.m. Live in West Dallas, Adam Rife, CBS 58 News. Yeah.
18: Newton tonight, a middle school teacher in San Leandro under fire after allegedly directing threatening remarks at his students
8: yeah, and the whole thing was recorded. KTV Zach sauce has been in touch with the school district. Zach, what are you learning?
27: Well, Andrea, the San Leandro Unified School District, only releasing a brief statement today, but so far it appears that the administration was first made aware of all this after several recordings of the teacher began circulating on social media earlier this week. In one of those recordings, you can hear the teacher, who the district says is on the faculty at Bancroft Middle School, appear to go on a rant in front of his class, angry about a student he says was misbehaving. The teachers then heard referencing his prior military, military career. And telling the class that in the past he'd shot kids younger than that student. Take a listen.
2: I've been through three tours in combat in the most dangerous places on earth, and I'm not in position to let such kids off back to me. Period. That's just how it is.
1: Nowadays. I have shot kids younger than him. Wow! Hey, yo, drama, hold up, sir. Hold on, hold, hold up. Stop the motherfucking record.
6: Some schools are so desperate for substitutes, they've tried recruiting parents. Others have asked local police officers and firefighters to come into the classroom. In New Mexico, they've even called in the National Guard.
1: I want you to pondy replay drama, pondy replay. <laughs> Let's <laughs> give him one more chance, man. Run that shit the fuck back.
27: Angry about a student he says was misbehaving, the teachers then heard referencing his prior military military career and telling the class that in the past he'd shot kids younger than that student. Take a listen.
2: I've been through three tours in combat in the most dangerous places on earth, and I'm not in position to let such shit back to me. Period. That's just how it is. Nowadays. I have shot kids younger than
4: him.
27: And later, you can hear the teacher appear to tell a student that he's lucky things have changed, and that he's no longer able to put his hands on him and take him out of the class himself. Another video, also under investigation by the district, appears to capture that teacher telling a student this.
2: You're probably about 20% undersized for your age, so I suggest when you get into high school you learn how to shut your mouth because guys like me who are way, way bigger than you tend
11: to count your little buttons in the ground
27: and the district's superintendent releasing a statement this week saying in part that they are investigating the quote inappropriate statements and adding quote in doing so the personnel involved have been removed from the classroom. Additionally, the Mancroft students, staff and families who have been affected by this incident are also being supported in processing this concerning event. So far, the district has yet to release the name of that teacher. They're asking anyone with information about the alleged incidents. To report them to Bancroft Middle's administration team.
3: Trying to be me, trying to be free, but Chicago. I love thee, I love thee. You've me be free.
0: Trying to be free.
3: Show me the way out. Show Baltimore me the
9: without way. the door, Baltimore without the door. Across
26: the sea, I suppose they're free. I
23: To today, a judge has dismissed another group of cases connected to corrupt former Chicago Police Sergeant Ronald Watts.
8: As of today, more than 200 men and women who say they were framed by Watts have been exonerated. WGN's Jewel Hillary joins us now with some of their stories. Yeah,
28: Ben and Lourdes, sadly, the stories are endless. For about two decades, former Sergeant Watts and other officers he worked with damaged hundreds of lives. But today was a win in court for dozens of men and women who were unjustly convicted for crimes they say they didn't commit. It was a victorious day in Cook County court for 48-year-old Tyrone Fenton.
8: I've been fighting my case since 2006.
28: Tyrone, who didn't deserve to serve two years in prison, is one of 44 individuals whose cases were dismissed Friday by a judge.
8: The Watts came into our neighborhood and terrorized our neighborhood.
28: In the early 2000s, former CPD Sergeant Ronald Watts and other dishonest officers planted drugs on hundreds of innocent men and women living in the Ida B. Wells housing complex. I did 17 years incarcerated on three different times. Every time I got out, he put more drugs on. According to the Cook County State's Attorney Office, since 2017. 212 cases related to Watts have been dismissed.
17: We crunched the numbers uh, of the 212 individuals. It's over 440 years of sentences in the Illinois Department of Corrections. 440 years he messed up people live
15: and he did 22 months.
28: Watts has only served about two years in prison, and many of the officers who schemed with him are still on the force. Attorney Joel Flaxman says a FOIA lawsuit to gather more information on the city's investigation
6: has been filed. We have been expecting for months now the next step of filing charges at the city, and we are still waiting to hear that.
17: There should be real, actual consequences for those lies that were told under oath in court and put in police reports. Those are crimes. I would like them to be brought to justice. I would like them to be convicted as well. I want them to do time
8: just like we did time.
28: In a statement, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox says, quote, The work to give relief to Watts victims is directly related to our public safety today. In order to restore trust in the criminal justice system as prosecutors, we must approach every case with an eye toward the facts, the evidence, and the law. She continues to say, I'm grateful for the attorneys in this office who continue to seek justice, restore trust, and address the historic inequities of Cook County's criminal justice system. Now, one of the attorneys says there are a few other cases related to Watts. Lawyers anticipate the state's attorney office will also move to vacate those as well. Yeah, they've been waiting a long time for an outcome. A long time coming, definitely. Okay, thank you.
26: What you doing to me, Chicago? Running it at me, running at me, Chicago, Chicago. running at me What you gonna do in Chicago? Chicago, What you gonna do in Chicago? Now what you gonna do in Chicago? Chicago, Where you gonna be in Chicago? Chicago? Set me free in
2: Chicago Set me free, set me free Chicago, Chicago, Chicago Chicago. Chicago. I really think that I'm marching At the beat of a different drummer The Weatherman FCS has been trying to give the impression that the Black Panthers are on their side, but the Panthers denied it.
0: We believe that the Weatherman action is anarchistic, opportunistic, individualistic, it's chauvinistic, it's uh, uh custeristic, and that's the bad part about it. It's okay. That is
8: leaders take people into situations where the people can be massacred, and they call it revolution, and nothing but child's play it's folly. We think these people may be sincere, but they're misguided, they're muddled heads, and the
0: they're scatterbrained.
8: Hampton. the Hampton. Context but now of it's official.
0: The white home of the Illinois gusty, Panther Party and leader in Fred Hampton is, broadcast is a totally landmark. Here the West Suburban Maywood. Village yesterday to a historical 23, 23, landmark. The home is So I have into a place where the this of the is our weekly party compensatory call-in, dial-in if you have Hampton thoughts, questions, questions observations, observations by the counter-racist about his suggestions, life, Judas and the number 720-716-7300, the code 564 pounds press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate. Whew. Many things to share. We will comment, get to the callers, all that, try to be efficient. Uh, Number one, it has been, I feel like for the last at least three years, minimum, minimum, I've said, wow, this has been the worst year ever. And, you know, not just to, to be hyperbolic, but I mean, wow, like looking at the totality of my time under the system of white supremacy, like, wow, it has been excruciating, at a point I had to say wow you can't just say that every year like this has been the worst year ever like every year like it doesn't even feel like the calendar has changed just feels like one big chunk of really bad time specifically with today let's see so Black Talk Radio Network down has been down I think for days haven't been able to go on the site like Post any episodes, edit anything like totally down. Page won't load at all. Usual suspects. So they were down. My Twitter account was suspended. I've had my Twitter account the entire time that we've been on. The cows. I'm very aware that they do a lot of deleting accounts, suspending accounts, frequently of non-white people uh, who post about racism. And they say, "Oh no, you you know that's that sort of thing." I generally just post news reports cows episodes when we're going to broadcast and or our archived content I generally just post that Uh, I don't talk to people I don't curse try to be same way that I talk here no you know profanity I don't name call white people just post articles the last two tweets that I posted LA Times report on albino squirrels 1989 and I posted a tweet with no gif no image no video no nothing just written characters about my observation of a white man stealing milk crates from the uh, Madison co-op at 16th and Madison basically that's Capitol Hill Uh, he was stealing milk crates I actually was going to whip out my phone and call the police to report him not that that's a high priority crime they have a police shortage in Seattle but I was at least going to report him right for stealing milk crates the dude had taken his license plate off like it was <laughs> like all of that over the milk crate challenge and oh look at the niggers and oh he killed him and oh he kicked it over and all that and literally to observe a white man in a gold Honda Healing milk crates and to have enough forethought. Let me make sure I get my plates off so they don't, you know, just in case that coon decides he's gonna snitch on (laughs) me. Like and in capital, this is the neighborhood. The mean median home value in this neighborhood, Capitol Hill, which borders Broadway, Broadway runs right through it, Posse on Broadway, one million dollars. To live in this neighborhood. Anywho, um, so whoo, just trying to go through all of the craziness. Um, so Black Talk Radio Network that went down. My Twitter account got suspended after tweeting about albino <laughs> albino squirrel and milk nope, great theft in Seattle's plush Capitol Hill, Uh, then my computer is about to burst into flames, I believe. Uh, I kid you not, I went to post just what I just said, condensed into three short sentences of what I just said, those three things about how, wow, this is the worst year ever, which I've said for the last three years. I literally went to post that. And my computer exploded. Like it did. That's hyperbole. It didn't explode, but it totally stopped working. Restart. I couldn't even uh, post the comment. I couldn't tweet it because my account suspended. And then I couldn't post it on Facebook either because my computer died. It was just like, "Are you serious? Like, are you serious?" At that point, I think I called it. At that point, so I turned my computer off. Got up. We are still in Seattle. This is where I talk about like, hey, system of white supremacy. The programming is, hey, T, you're having a tough day. It's been rough. You're feeling niggerized. <sighs> go grab a brewski or five, you know, do something destructive. Let's go name call some black people. You know, let's go do something non constructive. You know, be reckless because even still we are in Seattle Gus T went to the beach and Gus didn't even go to lame old Alki Beach which is what I normally would do many times and I had thought of like hey I think it might even be warm enough to go kick it at Alki Beach I haven't been there since like October Richmond Beach where I still am now and it it's not even warm. I think it may have barely got to like 59 degrees today, but just it was sunny for most of the day. Oh, Being there reminded me one like just for me being out when I say go outside, you can get a hike. If you live someplace, we got folks who are in Florida and Chicago and other places where they have lovely beaches or other things that you know are good for you that are constructive can have a huge impact because I was super frustrated like man that was like the word of the program yesterday people being frustrated and angry about white supremacy racism and specifically in a work context I went to the beach and broke out my computer didn't die still functioning just not functioning properly a little suspicious so I get my computer out and working to get the audio that you just had uh, heard completed but I felt so much better. I sat. I listened to the birds, the water. It's amazing. I took some pictures, but it was so pleasant. Um yeah, just getting outside can be huge if you can just go out to the what their lakes and what have you. Uh go out. Getting outside can be huge. Mr. Fuller talked about that how race soldiers they have conditioned and generally they try to warehouse, warehouse us in areas where oh no, no beach for you. Broken glass, concrete, barbed wire, fences, almost like where we're preparing you to go. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. But get out nature so important, especially now springtime, the flowers and all the smells. You can see the ducks and uh, critters and all that raccoon <laughs> uh, for the book club Anywho, next up uh, we should be here on Tuesday <clears throat> Gerald Hutchinson I just said the book club dear Senator S.E. May Washington we are getting close to the conclusion I have learned so much reading her book she is a black educator S.E. May Washington Williams and her racist, raping white father, Strom and also an educator. But I have learned so much. Uh, Gerald Hutchinson is the white biographer of Laura Nelson. Laura Nelson is the author of Quicksand Passing uh, for people who, you know, have a Netflix account. Uh, passing just came out at the end of 2021 uh, as a. Uh, major motion picture adaptation of Nella Larson's passing and I think they stuck pretty close to the text although I have not read the book what inspired me to want to talk to the white man who wrote a biography about Laura Nelson uh, she is mentioned in dear senator she talks about passing but specifically she does mention passing kind of briefly but more specifically she talks about Nella Larson's life and she talked about how Nella Larson before she was a big writer participating in the Harlem Renaissance she went to Tuskegee in their nursing program and I was like whoa what in the world like I didn't know anything about that like wait a minute then I'm thinking, whoa was she there during Tuskegee and no she was not that was Years before. Anywho, uh but I just was fascinated, like, man, who is this person? Let's see, let's get a biography on her and bang on I've done that many times uh throughout uh our reading of Dear Senator, uh, Zachariah Walker, the whole book about his lynching. Author might be coming to the cows as well. So I've learned a lot. We should be here Tuesday talking about Nella Larson, very interesting life she has one white parent and one non white parent could not did not pass as they say for a white person although she did write about that experience Uh, incidentally I'm not sure if Nella Larson would qualify for the reparations as it is stated in California because her black parent was born in the Caribbean but he was a slave now how about that like for real for real. Plantation. Ah, lash, ah, yeah. Come in and rape you. Or come in and rape your uh grandmother or whatever. Wife, whatever you want to call it, and all the re owned your own your father, slave. And then he was married a white woman. Anywho, she would not qualify for reparations, unless I'm mistaken. We'll be talking about her life and times on Tuesday. White guests only invest if you think the program is constructive racism hyphen notes dot com. racism hyphen notes dot com. listener supported counter racist radio invest uh, you can hit the blog you'll see the paypal in the top right corner uh, you'll also see PayPal links link for cash.app.com forward slash the cows our cash app address right there uh, A Venmo all linked much obliged to all the many investors all throughout the known universe who have contributed to the cows hope we have been continue to be worthy of your time and energy uh, you can also invest via our Amazon wish list uh, it's at Amazon at Gus T. Renegade Huge thanks to all the folks who have nabbed items over the years. Hope it has been worthy of your time and energy. Uh, Let's see. Next, as I said, Black Talk Radio Network uh, is not working. Hopefully it will be restored at some point. Uh, That is not should not be a concern at all. The live stream is available on my blog. Uh, You'll see the post right there uh, that you can listen to it right there. Just click the play button live stream you should be able to hear the compensatory call in now Uh, you can also uh, listen via tune in you can have the app on your phone your computer you can stream it live on the web but and you can call obviously on your phone but lots of ways to listen live and then the archives are Stitcher uh, Apple Podcasts Blueberry Podbean Uh, Podchaser, lots and lots and lots of outlets YouTube even, I think we got some of our content getting back up there, the new content so lots and lots of outlets uh, to access the context of white supremacy Uh, and then hopefully Black Talk Radio Network will be corrected at some point again, usual suspects let's see the news segments Um, they talked about wrestling reading is more important than watching television Uh, I find it embarrassing like that we're talking about professional wrestling not like black people becoming med students black males and females becoming med students at high rates especially black males because that's the lowest group that would be something like wow let's not Pro wrestling, and they really did it up. They got a black reporter talking to a black person, and that rarely happens on NPR. We listen to NPR and have on the compensatory call in for years, so you all can, you know, kind of run back through your memory. Although, Voice is not always 100%. That's not reliable in terms of turning racial classification. But Ayesha Roscoe, these people have pictures. You can just go to NPR and look up any of the many journalists that we have listened to and get a picture, see what they look like. Anywho, but professional wrestling. The Negras are having a moment, whatever that tackiness means. Um and they talked about some of the fiercest black wrestlers again like that's just the same old jungle physical uh darwin's athletes that we talked about with john hoberman way back same old thing black body that can go out and do something but you're not a thinker you can be a fierce jungle tiger amazon um and even when they talked about the history of racism and wrestling they didn't even get into any details again I'm a lame victim of white supremacy computer I thought was going to explode today uh, with no budget no staff I didn't even do any research I didn't go on you know let me go do some sleuthing online let me just see what I can think of because racism and wrestling has come up over the years people said hey why don't you do a program about that why don't you do a program about that and I said, huh? we could we could we could so what did I recall from memory? One, the first thing I met Johnson, because they mentioned him. That was one. I think we were on the air when that became a big to do. He gave an interview around 2013 and said, hey, you know, I could have been a star. I think he said he went overseas and he was a huge star. We don't think about whole world. He went overseas to a part of the world like Japan, where wrestling is also a big deal. And he was huge over there and he was like what do you mean I can't be champion for people who don't know wrestling is fake so they like determine the winners in advance I hope I'm not spoiling it for anyone Ugh, lamest thing in the world we have cows listeners who are wrestling fans like I don't even care if you feel offended like shame on you Um, so they wouldn't allow Ahmed Johnson to be champion he did a big uh, podcast interview about this in like 2013 that came to mind if you want to be real specific but Beyond Ahmed Johnson, when he was talking about the portrayal of black wrestlers, you mean like Kamala the Ugandan giant that's one if you want a visual representation like just take a take a gander there or let' me see let's see another one Let's see how about Abdullah the butcher that's another one if you just want to take a gander even in fact the junkyard dog Dr. Curry's book it's the man not you see the pattern there let me give you the all you have to do to give the name that would have been better than all that VGQ victims guaranteed qualified that I think would have been made a much better illustration just give those names if you want to talk about Negro representation in professional wrestling junkyard dog Kamala the Ugandan Giant Abdullah the Butcher if they are confused just do the visual and I think you'll have like wow and this is not ancient history I don't think this will be like black and white or something from 60 years ago like this will be pretty recent lame professional wrestling Uh, let's see i don't even know what that oh they said they're gonna hold them accountable we can't hold the police we can't hold prosecutors prosecuting attorneys uh, judges we can't hold them accountable we can't hold bill clinton accountable for the crime bill but we can hold hulk hogan again matter of fact he was in that was part of it him out saying man my daughter she didn't even do right and get one of the niggers with some money she just got an old regular broke nigger like you can't even get one of these basketball niggers like man what you gonna do are you serious we're gonna hold Hulk. we didn't even hold hulk hogan it <sighs> lame old wrestling next uh they had we heard from retired firefighter they talked about Jackie Jackie Robinson 75 years him being the first in the modern era that's how they phrase it even that in my view is deceptive you shouldn't say that you should that you could just say Jackie Robinson is the first black player to come back to professional baseball after white people disallowed after racist disallowed black people to play for X number of years you could just say it that way that would be precise and that in no way diminishes the terrorism that he had to endure for his entire life why he died so young and was so stressed while he was here but just being truthful he was not as retired fire uh, retired firefighters said and who was Moses Fleetwood Walker even retired firefighter added hey it seems deliberate because with Jackie Robinson they made sure to get it he was nonviolent. he endured all that abuse and everything and not being welcome and he endured it all and he didn't swing he turned the other cheek he was not we got to get all that nonsense slavey rhetoric in Moses Fleetwood Walker as retired firefighter said hey he killed a white man and acquitted stood his ground self-defense I should have done it how about that shouldn't that be celebrated no even 2022 that's not celebrated nah 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 we don't talk about no niggers because we want to think about black people as no count cowards and slaves and non violent and I mean, really, if they really wanted to be fly about it, hey, we say Chris Rock says reading and books are like kryptonite to you, niggers. metaphor. So Moses Fleetwood Walker wrote a biography like, man, that should be on everyone's reading list, right? Black person, first black person to integrate Major League Baseball. Why wouldn't that be like, and especially now, 75 years from Jackie Robinson, you should put them both together. Read Jackie Robinson's autobiography and hear what he had to say, because he talks about all that nonviolent stuff. Like, hey, this is someone who is a veteran soldier. If you're a soldier, you're not a pacifist. That's Muhammad Ali, right? Put them both together. In fact, I said, hmm, we should read this for the book club because it's available online. But at minimum, his name again, Moses Fleetwood Walker. How, I mean, how was he not like the greatest black hero ever? Like, be the first black person to play professional baseball, be good at it, kill a white man, and be acquitted for it at that time? Everybody should know. And that racism white supremacy why nobody will just lie and say Jackie Robinson was the first reading more important than watching professional wrestling for sure next uh, in Florida Ron DeSantis 2024 they said they uh, rejected I think it was like 54% of the math textbooks racial essentialism I don't even know what that is that's what <laughs> you'd have to explain that one like break it down to us you know because we do have six-year-olds here so break it down to us so we can tell them you know what we are not supposed to be talking about so we can explain it to the parents because I don't even know what that is I might get confused and stumble into that accidentally uh, let's see when they talk about misinformation the greatest misinformation out there is about racism White supremacy, even just what I just said. Jackie Robinson is the first black player to play in professional baseball. Hmm. Misinformation right there. More of that to come. They continue. They said, uh, oh, man, we had the back-to-back reports. Even President Obama's family members, they said Michelle, or I guess that's his in-laws, but same thing. Uh, The Robinson cowbell, black male and a white woman following, unfortunately, in uh, President Obama's parents' footsteps, uh, metaphor, example. Uh, But their child, non-white, they said that the children were telling these uh, non-white children with white parents, they were uh, telling them, he had consecutive reports. One, they told the Obama families, uh, plantation, we got to do a plantational experience with you all. Then they had the Whovolton same thing, biracialist they said uh, family Uh, they said that they had the Kill Negro Club they told the non-white children with a white parent to go pick cotton go back to Africa do they sound ignorant about racism? They didn't even say these were like 17 year olds or anything these are kind of young children and they seem like what I said before like hey white people are not ignorant about racism. Uh, You should be thinking by about maybe five, six, four, three. They got some of the fundamentals. They got enough to understand what a Negro is and they can identify a Negro. That's about all you need to, you know, get to the basics of racism, white supremacy. The Kill Negro Club. lots to think about before you hop in that bed and produce a black child Uh, let's see they had the report on the mental health of children after two plus years of the pandemic which is really important however you want to talk about misinformation they said the most vulnerable group the LGBTQ youth that I thought Not Emmett Till, not Ayanna Stanley Jones, not Tamir Rice, Michael Brown Jr., George Stenney, Ruby Bridges, Bobby Hutton, Tysha Miller, Latasha Harlan. No. LGBTQ youth. And incidentally, the LA Times, they just had a very large report. Super interesting uh they were talking with a white person who identifies as transgender i believe a transgender female this white person done the surgery and all that this white person says transgender woman says whoa this is not good i'm being contacted by a lot of children young people way more than before and they had the numbers to support that that there has been a substantial increase over this past two years uh where she's saying wait a minute i think some of this this is not people who are transgender or you know they were born and they just their body doesn't match their mind or what have you which she says hey that does happen that's not what a lot of this is i think a lot of this is you have children who are stressed it's been two years of confusion and chaos they're stressed they're depressed they've been separated from their peers they're going through all these changes and then they're isolated and then she said all this is being promoted it's been such a big political issue and they have propagandized this in school Uh, my princess girl and all my princess boy excuse me and they've had all the rest of this she said it's been so heavily promoted hey if I'm having any sort of anxiety or if I feel confused or stressed you know hey Maybe sex hormones. That's, maybe that's you know the answer as opposed to uh, maybe stop eating bad food. Maybe get out and go to the beach. Turn off the phone. Turn off Netflix. Get outside and get some exercise. Discuss white supremacy racism. Put down those Lunchables. <laughs> like a huge combination of things that would be way more constructive to consider as opposed to, can I chop off my penis? like whoa whoa slow and she was saying hey I'm transgender you are 16 like this is like a life-changing decision like whoa let's think about in fact she said let's just try to talk about this it was amazing like they had I have to read you some of the the clips from the article they uh, she asked one of the students to tell me about your gender and he said it's like a raccoon grand American he said it's like a raccoon and she said, "Hey, clinical. Can you tell me more about that? Just help me understand what that means when you say your gender's like a raccoon." And and he said, "I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, wow." He, he said, "Well, I mean, you know, it's it's just kind of like a raccoon, you know? It just kind of slinks around and, you know, it's it's kind of filthy, you know? It's in the trash and it's rummaging around, you know? It's uh it's coony." <laughs> what and they said in the article like they have lots more young people it'll be those sort of really vague descriptions of this is how they are interpreting their gender and she's saying you know I'm sure some of these people hey they've had these questions for a long time and they felt some type of way about their body that's the way she said that you know she felt this transgender woman but she saying, hey I think and she said it's been a huge increase And people under the age of 18 contact, I want to get hormones. I want to have surgery. You know, I'm transgender this and all the rest. And it's, whoa, did you just, you've been sitting at home on TikTok for two years and now you're transgender like, whoa, 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 whoa. And she was saying it's being promoted. That's why it's so important talk to your children you can't have them binging on pro wrestling and you know everything else on Netflix really dangerous time is so much anxiety for everybody it has really had a huge impact detrimental impact on children and the sexual confusion just you know more and more you got to talk to your children about this and be checking in with them and listening to them not just talking and all that like listening to them and have them telling you what's going on at school and what they're watching and all the rest of it like uh, whew, dangerous time and again so challenging to be an attempted parent uh, let's see the segment where they talked about where they talked with Dorothy Brown non-white female victim of white supremacy she's at Emory University about her book uh, uh, the whiteness of wealth Uh, one Dorothy Brown she was on Melissa Harris Perry's show way back when she also has a white parent Melissa Harris Perry Uh, and she gave a better articulation of her statement when asked because they said hey if all things are equal housing schools crime rate amenities all things being equal except there are a few more black people in this area and I mean it wasn't like a predominantly black area or anything like that just a few more black people and <clears throat> white people do not want to live there And she said the only way you can logically interpret the data white people do not want to live around black people if that is the case that sounds like dedication to white supremacy racism we would have to alter drastically because her book was the whiteness of wealth and reasonable solutions to undoing this that right there like hey if racists are committed to white supremacy racism anything that is about the business of producing justice is going to be unreasonable to racist man, racist woman racist child all, in, all of the solutions that she gave about things that they could do and changing the tax code and all that and eliminating benefits for uh, folks that are marriage and all that. White people are not going to do any of that and it's certainly not on a broad scale. You see, they got a broken bingo wheel in Evanston, Illinois for reparations white people and i mean you would need really powerful white people senate congress they would have agreement consensus and then be accepted by the president about hey we're going to switch up the tax code to stop penalizing the negros and we've heard this before andrew carl talked about this when he was on the program in 2015 a suspected race soldier we were talking about the theft of black property and he said that this is one of the key ways it's done with weaponizing property taxes specifically and he said the same thing that they talked about with income tax that with property tax it's really hard to get this information to even find out like whoa they are taxing the Negros at like forty percent of the rate that they're taxing white people they said the IRS they don't even uh, publish racial information about you know tax information that right there lets you know is probably out of like way worse Uh, because Andrew Carl he said it's in the archives 2015 he said in his data he was saying in places like Mississippi where it was even hard for him to access this information it was like four five six times black people were paying in terms of property taxes the rate that white people were paying could even be worse than that like he had to fight to get those records and he said a black person you would never get access to those records to even know what rate of tax you're paying as opposed to now that's another one to come back who is more informed about white supremacy racism what it is and how it works Andrew Carl's book is the land was ours Ooh, wow that's crazy because I think that's April 2015 yikes have to see if my memory is that good but it could be that is wacky but he was here in the archives that book is pretty good the land was ours uh, let's see the oh man that report was so terrible I had to stop because I took it they had so many metaphors I have to come back to that when we get to the metaphor section uh, let's see I'll do I give out two. I give out my final two. One uh, Bay Area mom, much obliged. She sent me the report about the teacher in San Leandro. <laughs> I had to include that I lived in California. I literally I used to live in San Leandro. I had a white person when I lived there tell me that they used to call it clan. Leandro because they did not allow black people to live in that part of California right on the border uh, of Oakland I believe it's to the east uh, of Oakland uh, but super close um, they had the white teacher he's telling them about his time in the service he said I'm just not going to take a lip I think he used you know, some profanity I'm not going to take a lip you know, some little child you got to be out of your mind You know, I've killed little folks your age younger than you I think he's, I've killed folks Younger than you. You don't know who I am. We don't know who they are. The rewind on that one, I made sure to include. We just talked about this yesterday substitute teacher shortage. They said, hey, we're desperate. Police officer, National Guard, anybody. We're desperate. Can you come teach a class? We need some help. Anybody. Jerry Sandusky. Oh, everybody. well, can you see? Well, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, we can't. We, we're desperate. We're not that desperate. But we're hurting. That's. Like I said, most difficult job probably attempted parent system of racism white supremacy attempted black parent system of racism white supremacy like whoo That's who's in the school Whew. Clan Leandro that area did have a high population of white people so I suspect this probably happened in a school with a lot of white people which is why this guy is no longer there I also suspect that it was a white person who did this that's why this person has not been identified by name but wow National Guard also in the school in at least in New Mexico the other uh, report in Chicago (laughs) the great Roy Ayers I was at the beach awful day things improved I listened to Roy Ayers Chicago first which we heard even that song he says (laughs) Chicago let me free set me free excuse me Chicago set me free like wow that song seems like it has some counter racist elements to it I could be incorrect I've never questioned him about it but the great Roy Ayers I did hear everybody loves the sunshine at the sunny beach today but I did hear Chicago first uh, in the segment where they talked about vacating these convictions and it was a parade of black in fact I, they do have videos, so you can see who these folks look like. But I mean, all you need is they said and it was a black male officer, Ronald Watts, uh, who was going around and make lying to convict all these folks. But you didn't even need the visual. All you need to hear is Ronald Watts was going to Ida B. Wells housing project. Hmm. Who's going to be residing at the Ida B. Wells Barnett housing project?
2: Hmm.
0: That you can fabricate drug charges on that will be believed and convicted at the Ida B. Wells housing project. Hmm. I wonder why they went to the Ida B. Wells housing project. <laughs> like I don't even need to see like yeah, yeah, this yeah. Mm-hmm. Bunch of niggers, probably a lot of nigger males, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Already got that. What I found most interesting was they said Ronald, why this black dude, yeah, he's a no count scoundrel and he terrorized us. And I mean, oh that is super incorrect. That is terrorism. You're just going around and grabbing black because you know, you can't go over to where the white people live and do this. We just go and do it. this might be, be institutional apology because this was probably during John Burge's tenure. They should have given full context if we want to say terrorism like, hey, who was in charge at this time? Cuz I'm sure uh Mr. Watts was not the chief of the Chicago Police Department. They didn't say that. Anywho, John Burge or no, they said Ronald Watts convicted out of here former cops served some time they said not enough time he should have been you know in prison longer they said that his colleagues were in cahoots with him doing the same thing they are not in the hooscow apparently they're not even former officers they still got a badge and a gun and are doing God knows what that's another one I don't need to see the video of that one either now would have that sort of power where they can commit the same criminal activity and I remain a person unknown with a badge and a gun maybe still able to visit Ida B. Wells housing project but old Ronald Watts the old negro male uh, let's see And the oh, wait a minute. Dorothy Brown make sure I go back Dorothy Roberts sorry oh, Dorothy Brown I had it right the first time Dorothy A. Brown I thought it was so negligent in that report I know you don't have the time to discuss everything in the report but this is not about vestiges and all that that report was so disgraceful for so many reasons black people in Detroit Michigan lost their property because of this right here unjust taxes I mean yeah you're talking about Uh, income tax and all that with the IRS but I mean there's so many layers to the exact same thing they get overtaxed fall behind lose their property and then you don't find out till years later whoops we were overtaxing the negros sorry property's already been gone yeah what can be done and that sort of thing to happen. Andrew Carl was on the program but we also had NDB Connolly on the program in the same month his book a world more concrete is on the same subject matter white people getting better refining their ability to steal property from black people one of those ways taxes property taxes specifically income tax too but yeah lots of different ways thought that was really important they could have just included Detroit because that's current we don't have to talk about this as though this is something that white people did way back when this is happening right now and I'm sure the folks in Detroit Michigan hey right now 2022 racism and taxes being weaponized They just get better as they go Uh, with that. uh, If we could abstain from using metaphors, that would be super uh, appreciated. We heard, wow, there were bunches of them just with that report with uh, Dorothy Brown. There were so roadblocks and cultural boundaries and reasonable steps to undo that. I don't know what any of that Uh, meat and she's, quietly enhanced white wealth what does that mean does that mean that they loudly came out and announced that they were gonna overtax black people i don't think they did that because she said you had to dig about that one but
4: they quietly
0: and they said even in that report they said the white people did not want to be identified persons unknown. They didn't want to be associated with wealth. That's so interesting because it seems like any other time they get so loud and indignant about meritocracy. What they say, that tacky metaphor, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, wait a minute. Your grandfather helped to buy all your boots and your bootstraps and your pajamas and everything. Well, we want to talk about meritocracy. Well, well, wait a minute. Your mother put the down payment on your car and you're a matter of fact. That's your parents' house that you're living in. And the thing also, this is not new. They've had this information for like years in terms of even there being big public books that talk about this in terms of white people having all of this extra help network system in place to assist them doing things operating in the system of racism white supremacy that not only is it that black people don't have this white people have strategically worked to make sure black people don't have this lots of it we talked about the color of wealth. That's one. Betsy Leander, right? That's one. She was a guest on the uh, Cows program in 2009, and they have all of that information there. Uh, Thomas Shapiro, the hidden cost of being African American. A lot of that information is right there uh, about all of the resources that white people have, and then all of the costs and different ways that white people overtax and make black people pay more. Even Beryl Satter, she talks about that in Chicago they didn't just restrict where black people could live they forced them to live in really bad areas and then forced them to pay like five six seven eight times what the property was actually worth it's lots and lot more than we could even imagine in terms of you want to call it the whiteness really the terrorism of white wealth more accurate title to what we're talking about Anywho, if we could, since we had so many metaphors, they were just piles and piles and piles of them. Uh, Since we had so many, if we could avoid using metaphors, try to be precise, exact with what we say about white supremacy, racism, uh, I will give reminders. Uh, It just helps to minimize confusion and it can help to minimize a racist's ability to deceive uh, the number again is 720-716-7300. The code five six four pounds Press star 61. If you would like to participate, uh, if we have any folks, if we have any uh, attempted parents, if you have any suggestions that you would offer to a black teen who is just starting out working if you have any tips that you would offer especially if they're working in retail where you might have to stop a white shoplifter that type of uh, scenario if any folks out there have tips that they give to their uh, offspring that would be super appreciated or if we have especially any non-white females any suggestions for minimizing unwanted sexual attention in the workplace I guess it might be good for everybody, but especially females. 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Let's see. First few folks who dialed in with a hand up. Uh, Line should be open. Proceed. Hello. Uh, There is Bay Area mom. uh, As I said, got the clip of the teacher who threatened he had shot children younger in the San Leandro classroom. Yes, ma'am.
7: Hello. This is not her.
0: Oh man, I got confused. I'm so sorry. That's our caller in Georgia. My apologies.
7: I mean, no offense to her. She's a lovely person. I'm just <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's been. Oh, I'm off to. Yeah, off today. Um, about I didn't hear all the clips, but I did hear about the city. I had heard, a, um, I guess, a interview before that. On one of the black media channels from the same lady, Miss Rivers, and um, you know she went, she was, she went, of course she was able to go into more detail than how they chopped it up on CBS News, and um, one thing they, they kind of glossed over it. They were like, oh yeah, you owe the water bill or something, you take care of the water. They, that city, according to her, uh, I think it's on Philip Scott's channel, whatever. They own the water, and so this controller, I think. Then she said, "I can go back. Listen, bought land on either side of the city, and is trying to get that so he can get access to the water. Because if you build anything around there, they're gonna have to get tied into the water, and that would be revenue for the area." Um, and she talked about the um, white people who had, who were involved in the corruption. And she said one killed himself, killed themselves. It was two others, and they didn't go to jail, but the black person that was involved, they did go to jail and had to pay restitution. So she was about the racism and that. And again, um, back to us having access to water. I guess, you know, we're not supposed to drink water, have water, clean water, nothing to get profit off water. You know, water, I guess, is supposed to be bad for black people. Um, I guess about the kids that's horrible. Um, about them not I don't no, I wasn't just confused. I don't know what happened. I'm a girl. I was not confused about being a girl. I guess I didn't hang out you know, of course I'm older than TikTok and all that. But I knew I was a girl, my cousins knew they were boys. No one was confused about that. Um and we didn't really have any feelings about it, either. Wasn't it wasn't, oh, I enjoyed being a girl. I enjoyed being a boy. I was a boy, you know he was a boy, I was a girl that was there was really not a whole lot of talk about it, good or bad, or I don't know, it just wasn't so I do feel bad for kids that are you know, and then a lot of these celebrities, oh, I don't feel like a woman, I don't feel like a man. I don't know what that's supposed to. Well, most of the time, I don't know what that feels like. I know, you know, every month, but other than that, um, I don't really know what it "quote unquote" feels like. Um, I guess opportunities. I will always, I guess, continue to push um, the taxes because a lot of that is becoming work at home. You know, the job I have is work at home. A lot of other companies are growing, and they're working. A lot of that is work at home. It's seasonal, but, you know, if you're, I guess, maybe more so if you are in a committed, trying to be a family, you know, when you have little children and, you know, you think about, oh, going back to work and babysitting and all of that and the cost of that, a lot of the times, if you can do that work seasonally, you know, you can make some and then, you know, you can spend the rest of the time in that home taking care of your offspring Um, You do have to have some skills, but you don't necessarily have to go to college. Um, Data is not talked about a lot, but it's called an enrolled agent. That's something that can really benefit you in the world of taxes. It's it's administered through the IRS. Um, Where I work, they've had some new opportunities where you don't necessarily have to know about taxes to get in. And I think it's happening at the other companies as well. So if you can get in that way, and then a lot of those companies, the big ones, they may sponsor your you know, enrolled agent certification. And you can use that all over the country. Um Yeah, that's a job, you know, that can be mobile all over the country because you never know when the races will have to make you move. So you want a career that's mobile. That may not, trades, I believe in trades as well, you know, plumbing and all that, those are great mobile careers as well because some ambassadors always need to be fixed. But, you know, if you're not going to get into the trades, you know, taxes, you know, and that's, I don't think they're going to really want to outsource the tax laws overseas because I don't think it's a wise idea for the country to know your legal. I mean, they can look it up, a but to have someone outside of the country well-versed in your tax system or something like that, I don't think that would be good for any country to do that to any other country. So that's all I have
0: for now. Thank you. Great career uh, opportunity as well. Tax, that's something you could do at home or you could do anywhere. You could do at home, you could go to a coffee shop. Uh, you know, if you have your uh, computer or device or what have you, um, you could be go to the beach. Lots of options uh, for that one where you certainly would not have to be tied down to uh, an office uh, or whatever. She said it is seasonal. Uh, So, you know, that would be something to consider, but at least something that you could, uh, a skill uh, that you could add, uh, give you another opportunity, at least for part of the part of the year. Uh, Much obliged our caller in Georgia, the confusion and see how they can do it where something that people weren't really talking about before. Wow, I'm a guy Isn't that cool or I don't feel like a guy. What does that even mean? Or you're a girl. Maybe I feel like a girl today. Maybe I feel like a little bit of both. And all the rest of it. How we can go from something that we didn't even talk about to now. That is the most pressing issue ever that we have to talk about every day and have funding for. Not replacing white supremacy with justice and talking about it in explicit terms. We got to drift off into, you know, my princess boy and all that new pronouns. Uh let's see the number again 720 716 7300 the code 564943 pound press star 61 if you would like to participate uh just really quick uh if we check see if other folks the report they were talking about the explosion in North Carolina They said, or it got cut off. That was not, you know, Gus T being uh, lazy, slack (laughs) in trying to get the report and everything. Uh, They did not have a full report. So I went back. That was uh, North Carolina Public Radio. I went back to see, you know, maybe sometime, you know, tech things happen and all the rest of it. I went back. uh, Maybe they got thrown offline. Maybe something happened. Maybe they tried to post it quickly and, you know, the whole thing didn't get uploaded. So they went back. Correct. Nope. (laughs) You got about a half portion people in the middle of talking and they get cut off. I was like, wow, that is really, you know, I mean, maybe someone would have commented and, you know, because I would like to hear the entire report. But I thought that was really important uh, because the one I mean, people had to evacuate anything. You've got people that are forced to leave their homes, threat of life and limb uh, and then all of the uh, pollution poison in the environment there was a entire report titled breathing Wild black talking about this incident specifically the fire in North Carolina where they had all these chemicals uh, it says soon after the fire ended officials reportedly warned residents to stay away from the local creek uh, due to chemical detection in the following statement city officials are warning the public to stay out of a muddy mill and Monarchus creeks downstream from the Winston Weaver Company fertilizer plant and to keep pets and other animals out of the creeks due to elevated levels of chemicals in the water resulting from the fire at the plant. Through Though the air quality has been deemed breathable now that's even interesting and residents have returned home the fire at the winston weaver has still left lasting negative impacts on a community forced to pack up and leave at a moment's notice confused as to how they could live so close to a plant holding a significant amount of dangerous chemicals without ever being notified who's more informed the chances of a fertilizer plant catching on fire or exp- and exploding are liable to happen anywhere in the nation, and as such affect any community who lives close by However, African Americans are seventy five per cent more likely to live near industrial facilities that produce hazardous waste than others and more likely along with other people of color or POCs to be exposed to air pollution as such they are more likely to suffer from asthma cancer etc than other so called races incidentally comorbidities again for COVID-19 as reported by the News and Observer North Carolina newspaper according to the Environmental Protection Agency's Environmental Justice screening and mapping tool about 51% of the roughly 6,500 people who live within a mile of Winston Weaver are black and 26% are Hispanic that's deceptive but the area within a mile of Winston-Weaver is also reportedly in the 91st percentile nationally for exposure to fine particulate matter in the air, the 93rd percentile nationally for exposure to ozone, and the 92nd percentile for cancer risk from air quality. And this is not a coincidence, whole but by design as is the case with many communities of color disproportionately located near industrial sites. I'll stop there, but again, this report is titled Breathing While Black, talking about the North Carolina fire at the Winston Weaver Fertilizer Facility. Serious feces indeed. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up commentary to share, proceed.
15: Can I hear?
0: Right the second time. Barry your mom. Yes, ma'am.
15: Okay. Thank you for taking my call. Greetings everyone on the line. Oh, I'm glad you brought that back up the um uh, the the fire because um that was awful and then it was just so many uh people displaced. Um, and nobody let them know that they had all that. Um, what was it? Ammonium nitrates. They had all that stuff. It was, it was so much it, Oh dear. So the whole air and you're right. Black people do live near those near toxic waste and, uh, pollution. Well, the majority of black people there, there, that's where they are. And if there's white people of course to live there and probably have clean air purifiers and things like that. And probably get checked every month for having to stay over there. I don't know, I'm just making that up. Um oh, and the taxes. You 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 brought up um or you you played um a clip about uh, a lady and um she was saying that her,
7: uh, her taxes were,
15: um, her parents' taxes were, um, more than her. She was, her parents were paying more taxes than her. And, um, just how they had been doing it for years and no one, no one even figured it out. Uh, well, I know they figured it out, but nobody cared. So we're the ones that don't know because we're so accustomed to just doing that, as We're told. That's the rule, pay this amount, do this, do this every year. And then how they they weren't taxing until after the war or to fund the war. So I guess during the war, they weren't taxing as heavy. And then after that, almost 85% or more people have to take taxes every year um, to fund, I guess, whatever it is they need funded. And how we suffer the most, and then I guess the big tax breaks come too when you sell your house. And a lot of times we don't get we don't we don't get as much for our homes, and we we don't always get to sell our homes. Sometimes we lose them. Um, what else? What? Uh, oh, what the, the the the. Um, Obama's, um, Michelle's brother-in-law, I remember him with, because when they, it all, when they have the inauguration for them, they were there, he was there with his, um, white wife, um, the Robinsons, and how their kids got kicked out of school because he spoke up. Um, yeah, I could see that, um, all that commotion, you could get out. It's probably not right, but I could totally see why they would kick those kick those kids out. I hope they didn't think they were exempt. Um, yeah, and then doing all those experiments and the killer 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 Negro Club. <laughs> yeah. it's so tacky. Uh and just go back to Africa and pick cotton, but everybody's so naive. I, I that really bothers me when people say that oh, well, we have just educate white people. They are very, these little kids, they know what they're talking about. They're very educated. And um, they talked about uh, on another clip the children and their mental health and suicide and how it's affecting the um, LGBTQ communities the most that are children. Um, I don't know where I was at, but they are really pushing this agenda um, in schools to create a community, and it just pushes out whatever's going on with Blacks. It just pushes them further out. So in order to get any kind of attention, they may have to get into some of those groups just to get something because they've been pushed out by this um, um, new community. Um, I see it I see it just in the children and it's so confusing to have that open door or if you have problems, that's where you go to this community. And then you're in this community and now you're at the risk of considering suicide in this group that you had to join just to get some attention because you were told maybe that's where you fit in because you don't fit in anywhere else and it's okay. Um, And they're just pushing it. They are put, you can't even make it to class without a billboard or a poster encouraging this environment. Um, I'm disturbed about the, um, suicide rates because, um, these are, these are, these are children. We, (sighs) but, um, I was at this school and, um, with. It's a poster, so with the Black Lives Matter, it's Black Lives Matter sprinkled in there. Black Lives Matter, the red, black, and green flag. We all matter. Nonviolence equals peace. LG, and, but the biggest letters is LGBTQIA plus <laughs> community. That's the biggest thing. And lots of rainbows. And then black history is colored in rainbows. Um, that's what you get once you walk into the school. That's what you're, that's what's right there. Um, and it says, and they stand with you. So, I guess if I look at it, the posters for those four blacks. And in our group, our community will stand around and help you, but you probably have to join that group in order to get that assistance that you need. And that builds their group. Um, <coughs> the newspaper article. So, yeah, that's that's what's going on. That's how the children are being talked to. Nobody's saying anything, especially when the um, instructors are white they they are uh desperate for instructors um, here uh, they they do need help um I'm just concerned the most about the black children and how long have they been talked to like that. And if you wouldn't have recorded but they're not supposed to be recording this class. But <laughs> if they didn't take that risk and record it and put it on social media, he'd be telling more stories, you know, about this, that and the other, disrespecting the kid even more. That's how he really feels about those black children. And then they have to go the extra mile to prove if they don't want to be considered what he was saying in those clips, they have to go the extra mile to prove that they're nothing like whatever it is that you're describing in this, the other young male. And, um, that's hard because that's a lot of, um, trying to get somebody's attention that's really not that into you, but you want to get your grades, you want to be looked at as civilized, but then when you speak to somebody like that, and you consistently, this is April. So this is April, school started in August. So he's been talking like that since August, at least, I mean, you know, in person. So, um, and that's how he really feels. He, he said, hey, do accustomed to be talking about
2: that, I don't have
15: to take that. And that's all, <laughs> thank you for taking my call. I mean, my line.
0: Uh, much obliged Bay Area mom that is the classroom environment unfortunately you know like uh, yeah I can't even imagine like having to and I'm so glad that you one sent that report that's how I found it in the first place she sent it to me but then when she brought it back up I forgot so the first clip they recorded him Where he says. You know I've shot kids your age or younger. You know whatever. I'm not going to take any lip from you know. sad smile from you all. The second clip where he says hey. You're about 20% under your body rate. Scientific assessment right. He's an expert. You're about 20% below your body rate. Guys like me. Once you get to high school. He's talking middle school. He's talking to somebody that's like 12 years old. (laughs) You get to high school. They're going to pound your butt now we did read let me do the full title so the full title is The Delectable Negro Human Consumption and Homoeroticism in U.S. Slave Culture now I did mention Jerry Sandusky we spent a lot of time talking about Ed Buck sexual abuse of black males pound your butt they do even have those cases of uh, they had the one black male student out in the Midwest they put a coat hanger in his rectum and these were high school students they did pound his butt they gave him a wedgie so bad it ripped his underpants I thought that was really important they're gonna pound Your butt paying attention to words. I mean, now maybe that was a metaphor, but that's an interesting metaphor from someone who's talking about violence. Almost sounds like the prison system. Hmm, reminded me of Chris Kyle, American Sniper, too. We read that in the book club. Like, ooh, we he bragged, talk. I think he started the book killing non white children. Savages, the savages. That's how he talked about him. They made that. Of, I don't know if they put that in the movie, him killing children, but he did mention that I have to go back and flip, but I think that's like the very beginning of Chris Kyle, American sniper. And he got killed a victim of gun violence, too. Uh, let's see. Uh, the number again is 720 716 7300. The code 564 943 pound. Press star one. If you would like to participate, do not wait till the last minute. If you have uh, commentary, Uh, I did want to make sure I got in as well when they talked about the segment in Chicago where they were not uh, firing these officers where they were supposed to be fired. But these cases are languishing. They said sometimes years have gone by where they're still on the payroll. I mean, you talk about tax dollar waste. You talk about white welfare. Can you imagine. A black peop A black person in any job. They work at the Krispy Kreme. Anything you can think of. Where. It's going to take us so long to process. That you will be getting paid. Where you should be fired. For in some cases. Years. They said some of it. COVID-19 staff shortages. The pay is not good. Staff morale around Anjanette Young. Who is Anjanette Young? Oh, that's the black female when the Chicago police burst into the wrong apartment and had this black female, Miss Young, no clothes on. and Oh, my God. You're raping niggas. Oh, wait a minute. This is not the... This is not... Oh. Whoops. And she was a social worker. They said that that also said it impacted morale imagine that especially if these happen to be a lot of black females who are in this position and oh man man we're seeing how they treated her like man man I don't even want to work here this is how Chicago public officers this is how Chicago employees that Chicago police This is how they're treating us like man I don't even eh. I don't know, but I thought that was important. They said that that, Im- that event had an impact on the staff and even their morale and work in working there. Racism, white supremacy is a problem for so many reasons. Also wanted to make sure that I included it was two of them. One, we have listeners in Alaska, investors, no less. I was stunned, but I mean, this you know, world system of white supremacy, racism. One of our Investors in Alaska sent me that report. White man in Anchorage, John Holman, terrorist rage. Had to shut down downtown Anchorage for hours and our investor got caught in that. Said, I'm behaving on the plantation, following the rules. I do as I say. I can't even get home because you got some armed white man causing all this mayhem, terrorizing us I can't even get home and they apparently released him on bond go terrorize our wonderful state we have to shut down the main city and you can be released just like that snap of a finger What Z said, they always get away with it. Yes, they do. And white man doing the same thing. William McDonald, he was the one where they said he went a whole year terrorizing all these black people in the neighborhood. Black parent, I said, hardest job. They had a black mom. She said she just had a little girl and he's doing all this slashing tires and nigger this. Stay here or die. All the rest of it. She had to send her child away. Now, imagine that. I'm a new mom. First time mom. Got my little girl and you go out and see that on your vehicle or on your property or whatever it is things are so bad you as a new mother things are so bad you think the best decision for your new child's safety send her away then not to hear that once twice another mom she says I have my two boys here we move in same thing you're gonna move you're gonna die once again the choice I have to make as a parent I think the best choice I can make is to send my two sons away worst or most challenging job I can imagine in the system of white supremacy being an attempted parent of a black child and these folks are making this decision living in the same neighborhood I was going to say that is widespread where people you know for whatever reason that's the decision that they have to make this is on the same block because of one white man who was able to do this for a year anywho he seems like another one he could just go to Ida B. Wells housing project and you know, do all the problem mischief you want. You will be uh, undeterred. Uh, let's see. Number is 720-716-7300. Code five six four pounds Press star 61. If you would like to participate again, uh, Black Talk Radio Network, I've not been able to access for days now. I was not able to access or do anything for today's broadcast. Uh, yesterday not sure what's up again other than usual suspects but I haven't been able to access the page at all so if any folks are uh confused I have no information at all I'm as clueless as you all are other than we are still broadcasting and same week no coincidences uh my twitter account also suspended after tweeting about albino squirrels and a white man stealing milk crates here in seattle Anyway, I would I normally uh you know, tweet and everything, let everybody know we're broadcasting and all that and the archive once the broadcast concludes. So folks, if they would like to invest, make sure folks know that it has just been um massive racist interference. That's all I can conclude with disrupting uh both access to the Black Talk Radio page and then my Twitter account and all the rest of it, but uh still here on the air archives will be posted. Uh, all the other typical sites uh, are working fine. Uh, folks can let me know. I guess if I get my Twitter account back, I'll use it. Uh, but I am not in the, oh, go and get 50,000 You know, other Twitter accounts. I've said all along, I am not a huge social media fan to begin with. I just do this for the program. And then if it's, they're going to be suspending me every other day, you know, you, oh, you put a squirrel up. That's, you know, we don't allow rodent tweeting. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not getting fifty thousand accounts uh to be expected and I think a few other folks pointed that out like well I've been threatened. I've had people literally come on Twitter, race soldiers I suspect and say, uh, you will be killed. Uh where I've screenshotted it, posted it, nobody at Twitter or any other uh medium contacted me. We've done a whole broadcasts where many black people have had the same sort of experience where people's can come on and do all this, brag about black people being killed and celebrate that and they get their account they can continue to cause mischief in cyberspace Uh, victims of racism pointing out racism seem to have a lot of problems that's been our entire time on the air Uh, anywho uh, we'll see we'll give uh, folks five and then if everybody's satisfied they got all their comments out uh, we will call it a broadcast again we'll be here for Tuesday George Hutchinson I don't know if folks saw uh, passing reading is more important than watching television or if they read the book or mo- or both maybe uh, that book is pretty popular even though it's old it's been required reading uh, in many colleges many schools period I think for a long time maybe not yeah they got that critical race theory so it probably wouldn't be there but many colleges uh, it's been required reading for decades uh, at this point so that's I'm I suspect that might have influenced why they made it uh, into a movie recently, Uh, but we will chat about that. I think they spoke with uh, Dr. Hutchinson on many uh, outlets, interviewed him when that film came out a few months back to see what he thought about the film, if it was accurate and to talk more about Nella Larson's life. Uh, As I said, she is a fascinating figure uh, with her time at Tuskegee and all of her books are pretty much about racism, white supremacy, Uh, you know, passing is, it is interesting in uh, what it review. In fact, I used the sound clip from the film last week, the segment where the mother and father hardest job in the known universe. I've said uh, where the mother and father, they're having conflict about, are they going to talk to their child about racism? And the mom is saying, no, you know, they don't need to know about this. We're not going to talk to them about all this. And the black father is saying, you know, that's literally, that is stupid we have got to it is imperative the black mom says they are safe now uh, the the children one of the children at this point has already been called a dirty negro so they are absolutely not safe and this is like 19 Emmett Till hasn't even been born yet much less lynched they are absolutely not safe Scottsboro boys haven't even been uh, what they call it railroaded yet Uh, they are absolutely not safe gotta be honest and talk about racism but yeah her books are are pretty in her life that's you know really the biography that was what sparked my interest all from dear senator her life and going to tuskegee and traveling abroad and then writing about racism and all the rest of it very uh very interesting and then she's kind of uh promoted as I said you know white people she's one that they will pick out as oh yeah people should read her books they're fascinating yes yes quite revealing uh, passing if folks didn't see the film it concludes with a non-white person dying either they jump or maybe they're pushed we don't know kind of ambiguous that's how it concludes I think I had just recently said like dang we gotta drag this into the 21st century like more macabre stories of black death that's what we need and and in the movie They make it seem like the black person pushed this other non-white person who was so-called passing, pushed them out of the window. So that's like, yeah, we need more of that anti-blackness. That's just what we need for 2021. And that was right on the cusp of 2022 when it was released. But Tuesday with Mr. Hutchinson. Uh, Anywho, uh, let's see. Any other hands? Looking like folks are, are satisfied. Great, we will assume folks are good. I know uh saw Henry in Chicago uh briefly. I know we had a number of Chicago reports. Perhaps we'll catch him down the road to hear any of his thoughts uh on any of the reports, uh even the marking of Fred Hampton's house where he grew up as a historical site. Hopefully they'll have lots of constructive information to help people get a better understanding of white supremacy racism, and I hope to be honest to the fact that white people Chicago police officers celebrated murdering Fred Hampton that should be a part of the exhibit so that that can be put in context so that even when we get to Ronald Watts the black guy that they prosecute hey his cohort's not being prosecuted all this can be placed in context of how Chicago police have functioned in relation to black people forever in the Windy City incidentally That Chicago report where they talked about the convictions being vacated for all these black people at Ida B. Wells housing project. I thought that was important. Earlier this year, we had William Cohen on the program. White man suspected racist. We talked about the Duke lacrosse rape case. We talked about how those white defendants were. Not just uh, the charges were dropped even after they had been indicted and there was no trial which is you know unprecedented I can't even think of it. I still haven't found another case where that happened they were declared as innocent and Mr. Cohen made a big point saying hey that doesn't happen in jurisprudence you do not we do not declare someone innocent you are found not guilty acquitted it is not you are found innocent that is not how the law works but it did in the Duke Lacrosse case in this case where it's hey we got enforcement officers lying planting evidence as they say even here they don't get branded as innocent they just vacate the convictions that's white power these white guys didn't even have a trial maybe they didn't do anything fine no problem at least have a trial and then they're not guilty now no 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 trial and they are innocent you niggers, we can go around and plant drugs on you and make up things, you serve time for things you didn't do and whatever, and even then, you're not innocent and that's exactly what they did, we had that black male rapist, that report I believe was Mississippi just a few weeks ago, where it was the same thing he had been locked up all these years in prison you raped this white woman, you raped this white woman and they say, oh wait a minute, Uh, it was unjust the way that you were convicted, so we're not going to declare you innocent we're just going to vacate the conviction none of that is coincident or accident uh, much obliged for folks uh, participation uh, thanks for the folks who persevered if they got confused or what have you like so many things not working couldn't tweet black talk Radio's not up like man Uh, disaster at every corner but still here archives should be working feel free to drop an email if you are confused Uh, you can invest in the cows share tweet share on social media or other sites so that people are not confounded we are still here race soldiers have just been very active disrupting things causing problems this week that said we're here tuesday 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy we will need fully functioning brain computers to solve our problems Uh, in addition to being sober if you're out and about it is no time to be in some sort of verbal jousting with a stranger you should be thinking that this person could be armed they might have an entire armed entourage if you didn't leave your residence prepared to die and or kill exit If you are in a vehicle, you are sober, buckled up, not on your mobile phone. We need all of our attention to be alert to things that are happening around us. And we are trying to do the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy No name-calling, no gossiping man, if anything, no reckless sexual activity. Producing black offspring is serious business. Having someone, hey, I shoot people like you when I wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning. That's what I produced this child for. No throwaway offspring under the system of white supremacy. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed.
26: I'm a victim, brother. problem.
1: You're
0: a
26: victim.
1: I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed
3: my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. (laughs)